0: Hey, Welcome to Socialism for All. Today's date is July 27, 2023, and this is S4A live stream number 101. I thought that I might cap the um, li- numbered live streams in which I do the whole song and dance of clipping articles and actually putting a show together rather than just the office hour streams. But, you know, I kind of went through the phase of, you know, the Twitter burnout and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we're back so we're gonna do some articles today Um, we're gonna talk about UFOs killer robots we got some great stuff coming up Um, deadly viruses we got it all Um, we're missing you know giant ape men I guess but you can't have everything so we had a nice office hour stream on Tuesday where we just wrapped for a while uh, it was like a three-hour stream, and there was somebody in the chat here at twitch.tv slash socialisms4a. Go follow the channel if you haven't already and you have a Twitch account. Um, there was somebody in there who was a student of history, college student in uh, Europe, and they are asking a few good-faith questions about socialism. We actually had a very good discussion with that person, and... Uh, You know, I think everyone came away better for it. You like to see that, um, you know, some actual open-mindedness, and we're able to correct a few of their misconceptions about Marxism, such as that Marxists just think, like, humans are all innately good, and anyway, there's just like a lot of uh, misconceptions about what it is Marxists are fighting for. We're fighting for a better social system. It doesn't necessarily mean that we think, you know, humans are all, like, innately good. Humans, as we're discussing then, And that Office hour stream will be edited and put up on the channel um, probably by the time this gets put up on the channel, um, Saturday or Sunday. Um, You know, we have intelligence and we have imagination and we have, therefore, um, immense innate capacity for cruelty or kindness or, you know, anywhere in between. Uh, What we're fighting for is an end to class exploitation and more cooperative, inclusive, and dignified social systems that make it easier to bring out the best in humanity, you know, Um, rather than having a system where people are ruled by fear, crushed, humiliated, and so on, which tends to bring out the worst, obviously, in people, um... And that's that's really more what we're fighting for—an end to class society, class exploitation. Will it solve every problem that humanity faces? No. But as far as our social arrangements, it will go a long way towards that. You know, biologically, we are advanced primates. You know, we're we're big, smart monkeys, and a lot of primates are kind of mean. I mean, you know, there's just there's there's just sort of issues in our in our instincts. Uh, but with intelligence, imagination, education you know, we can overcome that. Again, it's not that there will never be another conflict. Uh, It's not that people will never get, you know, experience interpersonal jealousy, or, you know, any other issue, all of that will persist. But we'll be able to work together uh, and not live in a constant state of fear and oppression and exploitation, which will make, you know, focusing on on solutions and living our best lives a lot easier. So that's that's the idea there. But yeah, we had a good office hours on Tuesday. Um, Today is going to be less chat oriented, although I am joined, as always, by we got thirty one people in the chat right now. And uh, we'll have some chat, but it's going to be more of a article focused day. And so we're going to talk about the UAP, unexplain what is it unidentified or unexplained anomalous phenomena, used to be called UFOs. hearing that was just held yesterday so we're well positioned today to talk about that very timely thing u.s congress just had this like two-hour hearing with three uh people from the military who you know are like representatives they're basically calling for a reporting system for pilots both military and commercial to be able to report any encounters that they have with, um, you know, unexplained uh, aircraft that move in ways that, you know, doesn't seem to be possible based on current technology, and other things that people report. Um, one of the things I found interesting, as we we're discussing before we started rolling here, was uh, the people leading the congressional inquiry including, I keep blanking on her name, Anna, what is her middle name? Bringing it up now. Anna Paulina Luna, um, who has uh, done QAnon stuff in the past. So we know that fascists over time, you know, for the last century that fascism has existed, there tends to be overlap with Fortiana, the paranormal, the unexplained, the strange, because they sort of revel in this um, irrationalism as a sort of mode of life. You know, if you look up fascist mysticism, names like Julius Evola come up. Um, but fascist thinking is very much anti rational, um, radical traditionalist in terms of going back to before the sort of age of reason. And not just um, in, in, in a way that sort of uh, tries to complicate black and white rational thinking, but that rejects it altogether and just lets embrace living in you know a, a new dark ages kind of thing. Although, the dark ages actually get a bad rap. But the idea is um, the dark ages were not uh, quite as, quote, dark in that sense. Uh, as as they sometimes get made out to be. However, uh, the point is, this rejection of reason and modernity and uh, science in favor of uh, kooky junk, basically. So this is right in line with that. And so you've got this sort of Congress-QAnon crossover event happening. I have watched half of it. So it's up online. There's like a two and a half hour video, two hour, 20 minutes, something like that video. I've watched more than half of it so far. Ask me anything. Um, (laughs) But I did make notes on it. And there are some really just preposterous ideas in it. Um, You know, it's like from the people who brought you Benghazi Gate. So we have the premise that there's intelligent life with sufficient capabilities for interstellar and possibly intergalactic travel, but they have insufficient capabilities to contact humanity directly without the governments of Earth getting in the way and covering it up. Ridiculous. Um, There are just so many things wrong with this. I was watching it, just kind of jaw-dropping. A friend was commenting on it, like, is this just QAnon stuff? Because it just seems insane. Um, So there are real cover-ups in the world. Uh, I'm not at all convinced this is one of them (laughs) and uh, you know curious how this always happens around US military bases and so on Um, wouldn't other countries around the world have access to this information as well so um, I see some people who consider themselves leftists on social media getting wrapped up in this um, utter lack of ideological grounding I think they talk a lot in the hearings about the crisis of confidence in the U.S. government. So there is a real crisis of confidence in the U.S. government, and especially U.S. military, because it's completely opaque, and what we do know that comes out, that can't be covered up, is they commit terrible atrocities, overthrow democratically elected governments around the world, anywhere that people are trying to get some kind of socialist, anti-imperialist movement going in their country that's trying to take power. The U.S. is there to either step in directly or try to and or uh, prop up right wing governments within the country to try to crush that movement through all manners of you know death squads and human rights abuses um, we know that they do that and yeah there is a crisis of confidence for sure but then the MAGA QAnon people step in and I saw this when the Tea Party started up basically like MAGA is pretty much the Tea Party in its later form, and then QAnon kind of like spun off of that. Um, There used to be some sort of quality, quote, conspiracy research in the sense that there were people uh, researching, um, you know, military cover-ups and coups and things like that that the U.S. was involved in around the world. This is tied to, you know, um, capitalism, advanced capitalism, imperialism trying to maintain itself around the world, and again crush opposition through means both overt and covert, and the huge amounts of money and resources and secret programs that they put into that, just dreaming up absolutely horrific things to prop up the U.S. and, and stop any opposition to um, you know, cap- the end of capitalism, which they know has to come eventually, but they're trying to stave it off as long as possible. So, yeah, I mean, there is a real crisis of confidence. Um, two-thirds of the United States can't survive a $1,000 emergency. There's a crisis of confidence there. People don't feel that the society has their best interests in mind, etc. But then these right-wingers come in and they try to co-opt the whole narrative about what it is, the nature of what is going wrong. What What is the ruling class doing wrong? Is it... <clears throat> they've got a society which exploits and oppresses us. No, it's they're covering up aliens. That, that's the real problem. Let's have a congressional hearing about it. So, anyway, uh, some of the basic dimensions there. Um, I don't know. You know, the people that they had up there as uh, the, the three witnesses or you know, people testifying, um, they were talking about safety. To pilots. So the one guy runs this thing called safe and he's complaining that pilots have, quote, limited options to report UAPs, and that these represent a critical safety risk, which allegedly has been acknowledged by the U.S. government, but not by the private sector. And they need a system of transparent reporting without stigma or fear of losing jobs. Uh, And then, you know, these reports would just be pouring in, they say if they represent a critical safety risk, I mean, can you point to examples of, is this just a theoretical safety risk? Or you're saying that there's like pretty much constant contact between pilots, both in the military and commercial and these things. Have they like taken down planes? <laughs> Do you have, you know, evidence to that effect? Because it would make the whole thing, uh, you know, the safety concerns thing, uh, You know, we're talking about the thing now that this technology is here, interacting with people. People are witnessing it, and it's a quote critical safety risk. Um, it just seems thin. You know, they say that it's on both coasts. Quote where navy operations are being conducted across the world. Interesting again how it seems to be tied to the U.S. military over and over again. Um. I don't know. You know, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm more than halfway through it. It's, it's, it's really just a strain. They say that the U.S. government is in possession of, quote, non-human aircrafts. That was the Grush, G-R-U-S-C-H guy that said that. And that defense contractors have access to these as well. So he's explicitly saying that these are non-human aircrafts. This is some extraterrestrial life form. Or I guess, technically, it could be some sort of, you know, if you subscribe to hollow earth theory, it could be from somewhere else on the earth, um, something like that, but that this is non-human technology. So again, the idea that there are non-human life forms, intelligent enough to figure out how to travel the vast distances that separate our planet from everything else, and yet, They can't just send us a direct message. I don't know. Uh, Again, I keep coming back to, wouldn't other countries have this information, too? Or is this another, like, city-on-the-hill thing where just the U.S. is, like, bold and free enough to address this? Um, Anyway, I think I've said all that I really want to say on that, but let's, let's go through the chat right now on this topic. What do you think? You got thoughts on UFOs? Let us know. All right. Reminder, UFOs does not necessarily mean aliens. Definitely. I mean, is it possible that these things are not physical, but are illusions? Um, spoofs that fool the, um, the equipment and the sensors? I don't know. I mean, that's not a thing. It's just, um, I haven't heard that addressed. And maybe it is, but... you know, again, trying to wade through hours and hours and hours of, um, let's say, stuff that raises serious concerns about the credibility, you know, in order to get to that answer is not something so far that I've prioritized. Uh, What else do we have here? UFO sightings are always spiking around military bases and during the Cold War, just sort of basic math. Yeah, I mean, unless the aliens just really like watching the U.S. military, it is a striking coincidence. And these sightings also didn't begin until after they entered public consciousness and the invention of flight. This is true. Um, You know, there's that saying, I'll believe it when I see it. There's sort of the other, uh, the reverse of that, I will see it when I believe it. You know, in other words, uh, it's much easier for people to conceive of things <laughs> that they already have some idea in their mind about. And that's not to say that it accounts for everything, but it does seem tied to that. I mean, people, you know, the, the UFO people, I've never, never, never been into the subject. Uh, that said, you know, I've read a lot in my life. I've perused a few UFO things here and there. Um, it always, always, and you know, I've I've read some out there stuff for sure. The UFO stuff always seemed so kooky. I couldn't even give it the time of day kind of thing. It was like reading about creationism. Just the way that it was, it was just off-putting to me off the bat. It seemed like just mostly lunatics. Um, you know, maybe I'll uh, I'll change my mind about that. But I'm telling you, the literature that I have read came off to me as just fucking like batty. Um, But they do try to make a case that there are sightings, you know, in previous centuries, but uh, nowhere on this kind of level, you know, to this sort of frequency. You're right. That's like after it enters public consciousness. Then people start seeing them a lot more. I mean, there's a lot of stuff up in the sky. Um, I don't know. By the way, separate issue, you know, do I think it's likely that there is life elsewhere in the universe? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, The universe is ginormous, and I think it's very likely that there's at least one other planet, or planet-like thing, that has some kind of life on it for sure. Um, But you know, if it were to contact us, I think, I think we would know. I think that that's probably not something the government could cover up, because again, what kind of things do we know that the government covers up? Covert military actions, various kinds of military technology. like These are things that are in their capability of covering up. I'm really not sure that alien contact is, is on that list. But, hey, you know, change my mind, I guess. Um, uh, I'm interested in, in hearing. I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about this topic. That's why I'm trying to address it head on at the start. It looks to me like basically another... QAnon piece of just nonsense that they're throwing out there. So, you know that that's my stance as of right now. Uh, Matt Gates was involved in this as well. I mean, these are not credible people. Also, people who do not have you know um, transparency or like you know good functioning government in mind. <laughs> that's just really um, pathetic joke. Um. Lumpen I'll come back to your comment about organizing culinary workers inside a healthcare facility. Um, I mean, SEIU sounds like it might be the obvious one, but as I'm not sure that they're gonna get involved. Have you read the organizing manuals that are up on the channel so far? Um, but yeah, anyway, aside from that, I'm not sure. If someone can help Lumpen out, please, please leave a comment. Um, Do bring that up in future streams, though. Maybe we can discuss that further. Um, Another comment, I've seen multiple, quote, UFOs, unidentified flying objects, but I'm also like a 30-minute drive from four different military bases. So, you know, go figure. And uh, viewer in Greece, no sightings in Greece, for instance, so... Oh, actually, so the Chinese spy balloon, that was coming up in the hearings a lot. As well. Um, So, yeah, the other point here, you know, I don't know when your your grandma saw a UFO, um, but we have now been living in an age where people carry high-resolution video cameras in their pocket everywhere. There has not been a corresponding flood of videos of these things um, that I've seen, and You know, I I use the Internet a fair amount. Changed my mind. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But um, for the way that these people testifying were making it out, I I was not able to connect this to what seems like baseline pieces of information and evidence that would seem to support it on a common sense basis. So I don't know. Did you see the shit about companies being able to play ads to your brain as you sleep? Thankfully, not yet, but... (laughs) I don't know. Aliens exist? I mean, we really don't know that for sure, I think it's very likely, but we have no conclusive evidence of that yet. Um, But they're so far away from Earth, they might as well be in a different universe. There may be ways of, um, you know... we Okay, so, just to put this in perspective, this is the data point I like to use. We really only harnessed electricity 200 years ago. We know next to nothing overall about physics, chemistry, and so on. I mean, we know some of the basics, but as far as advanced stuff, there are studies coming out all the time that challenge basic foundational assumptions of physical science theories. And what we think we know about the universe, the nature of matter, space-time, we barely know anything. Again, we figured out electricity like 200 years ago. So there may be ways to warp across space. We really don't know. We wouldn't know whether there are or not at this point because we are babies technologically. We're just inventing AI now, for example, uh, we may not survive it. I mean even with the technology that we do have, we barely understand how to use it properly. Um, we are killing ourselves with technology right now uh, with you know climate change for example, and other forms of pollution you know co2 and other greenhouse gases trapping heat in a particular way that's one way that we're undermining the ecological foundation of the only planet, that we know of, that we can exist on, um, and we're doing it at a pace, part of that is a failure of people, the masses, to act properly, to curtail the behavior of the people directing industry and production. But that's still part of the package. I mean, if the collective intelligence of the human species and the will to act on what we know if we don't have that in us, which has yet to be proven, um, we're gonna end up killing ourselves with the little technology we have invented. And it's gonna happen soon. So, <laughs> there's a lot up in the air. All of this may end up being a moot point if uh, humanity self-destructs in the next few decades, which is entirely possible. The biosphere um, is very fragile and we're doing massive damage to it now which could end up altering um the climate in ways that is you can't come back from and it may only take a few decades to do that and then it's just oops well you know there's a possibility it seems like of changing it now but people aren't acting effectively uh to to do that and to curtail that and to take Production into the hands of people who will not, you know, run it in the ways that we know are undermining the ability to exist on this planet. So, you know, we know barely anything about technology, really. With AI, we probably can, we're probably with AI on the precipice of a huge explosion of scientific knowledge. Um, properly trained AIs would be able to collate and synthesize vast amounts of scientific literature, studies that have been done but never duplicated, never read again and so on. Uh, they'd be able to actually make use of that because humans can only read you know, so many words per minute. We think slowly, we speak slowly, we write slowly AIs don't have those constraints. We're potentially sitting on a complete, like a an unimaginable um, revolution in science right now due to AI. If we survive it, and we'll, we'll be reading an article, again, about the concerns of not surviving AI soon. But um, theoretically, AGI would be able to, you know... Basically, synthesize all extant scientific published research in a matter of like years, and the finding or the um, not the findings, but sort of um, the hypotheses it would be able to generate, and then the experimental designs it would be able to suggest based on reading billions of studies are just things we wouldn't be able to do without that machine and. In- um, that thinking machine. So we're potentially on, on, on the precipice of a technological explosion which probably will completely shatter you know most of our foundational assumptions about the material world. Uh, but we may not survive that long. <laughs> it's like sort of the, the trade-off um, anyway. Is QAnon even a thing anymore, or is it just a branding for a who who is into New Age crap? I mean, it's—I think it's still out there. Um, and if it's not QAnon specifically, it's going to be something else, because again, this trend has been consistent within fascism for a long time, and you know it'll take whatever form is most convenient to it. I've heard that the World Socialist website was suspect. Um, WSWS. Um, they're Trotskyist. I mean, that's uh, that's probably why you've heard that it was suspect. Is many people um, do not regard Trotskyists highly. I understand there were some other issues with it. I forget if it was sexism. I forget what it was. Um, but I mean, you know, not all of their reporting is going to be critically flawed. But for the love of God, they need to stop like dropping mentions of Stalinism you know, <laughs> into like completely unrelated reporting. Um, but but I mean that that may be why. So you know that said, I mean they've they've done pandemic coverage that was decent. Um, but you know as a political movement, I can't say I would sort of suggest that. We're one alien 9-11 before the next wave of endless war. Yeah, people have to be real careful what they allow themselves to believe. So critical thinking comes down to requiring evidence in order to believe something. Do you care if your beliefs are true? And how do you ask for evidence? How do you evaluate evidence? Do you just accept things on simple faith just because somebody said so? Um, evaluating evidence is crucial. I do plan to at some point. I keep. Uh, I really just have a lot more audiobooks I want to do. Once I get more of the audiobooks out of the way, I do want to come around to some sort of guides um, that I want to put together. <clears throat> One of them is sort of a guide to the basics of critical thinking and evaluating evidence. But, yeah, I mean, people have uh, suggested many times, I think even... Was it Reagan who suggested Ronald Reagan who suggested that you know meeting aliens would be a way that all of humanity could be united or something like that? It's sort of like very fertile ground for a psyop. So UFO stories could be to distract away from climate chaos. Yeah, I mean any anything that is um, like let's put it this way: if there are aliens that have the technological capacity to You know cross um, intergalactic space (laughs) and they mean us harm we don't have a chance of fighting back so you might as well not even worry about it you know they make uh, movies and we'll get into this with AGI as well because we are with AGI building a non-human alien intelligence which the point of which is to be vastly superior to innate human intelligence it would be smart, smarter than even the smartest natural human brain. So we're literally building, you know, alien superhuman intelligence that does not have our mammalian outlook on life and and existence. Doesn't feel pain the same way we do. Um, it, it would be potentially very difficult to relate to or understand its psychology. We already don't understand the psychology, so to speak, of the AIs, which are not superhuman yet, but will be soon because computing power keeps doubling every few years. So it's a matter of time um, before the AIs are smarter than we are. They're already roughly comparable to human intelligence now. Um, And of course, they process information much faster So I mean, as far as their thinking ability, roughly comparable to humans, still sort of subpar compared to most humans, but the quantity of data they can process is vastly superior to what humans can do. You know, they can digest um, like 50,000 words just in the blink of an eye. It's just, it's not even close. Um, So as the computing power goes up and those systems become smarter in their thinking and the way that they combine information, um, I mean, that, that would be a much more immediate threat, in other words, and, and we're building it, so, again, tragic. Um, people need distractions from their major problems like living standards, homelessness, etc. And that's exactly what fascism is there to do. Um, as we've talked about many times, fascism will copy the um, aesthetics and the rhetoric. It will appear, try to appear and sound revolutionary in some respects, to act as a sort of decoy for people gaining class consciousness but aren't quite there yet, to funnel it into something which in its actual substance and content is counter-revolutionary and lowers class consciousness. This is a prime example of that. Unless they straight up plop a dead alien on the congressional hearing table, there is zero reason for this hearing. I mean, they just keep saying it's classified... Here, let me bring up my notes, because I I took notes on the first, like, 60% of this that I watched. Um, So the first guy, the chair, was talking about what UAPs are and what threats they may pose. That's the purpose of it. This was the Committee on Oversight and Accountability of Congress. Um, He says he's been into UFOs since he read a book called Flying Saucers, Serious Business decades ago and he said quote I thought it was the most important issue out there This is a US congressman also presidents Ford and Carter have claimed to see UFOs entirely irrelevant anecdotal evidence mister um, Burchett from Tennessee uh, quote the cover-up goes a lot deeper than partisan politics and quote the devil's been in our way on this thing he also promoted the guy who broke into area 51 by name then again you have anna paulina luna who has worked with QAnon in like the last few years um so these are these are the kinds of people um heading this thing up on the government side the trust in institutions theme was repeated a lot they talk about we need more openness transparency and sharing of information but again, just about you know UFOs, not about most other things. And quote, we should encourage more reporting, not less, on UAPs. Yes, it's a wonderful distraction as capitalism continues to have crisis after crisis. Then the three witnesses, um, the first guy, Graves, he's the one that runs Safe Aerospace, says that these sightings are, quote, routine, but that pilots have, quote, limited options to report UAPs, and that they, quote, represent a critical safety risk. Uh, People need to be able to report without stigma or uh, fear of losing jobs. He says he's currently working with 30 pilots who've encountered them, but there are many more as well. He's calling for a centralized information location for reporting them. Um, And then he gets into some of the specifics, like items that remain stationary in the air, in category four winds, or have erratic or quick behaviors. Uh, both coasts, but again, have there been compromises of safety or just the threat? Because unlike AI, where, where we're talking about the existential threat of AI, um, we're seeing rapid leaps forward, seemingly emergent capabilities showing up that weren't programmed into the AI um, from iteration of to iteration, from GPT-2 to GPT-3. Now with GPT-4, people within AI are shocked at how much um, smarter it, at its performance, Uh, like, you know, how much smarter it appears to be in the things it can actually do, to the point where it's not a leap to say, it's in fact very logical to say GPT-5 will be even more shocking in its ability, let alone a GPT-6 or 7, and the risk of losing control of that. Well, we will read that article later. But that's a here and now, present threat that's on the doorstep. Whereas in this case, apparently, you know, dozens of pilots are encountering uh, what he described from a compilation of reports is primarily a dark cube inside of a clear sphere with the corners of the cube touching the interior of the clear sphere. That's like the most common type of UFO that's being sighted. Um, No reports of harm yet at least that were presented here. So, you know, I don't know. Um, If these things are real, they they haven't been hurting us. And uh, yet they do seem to represent a very advanced technology. So, and and again, that's a big if there, that's a big if. Anyway, the uh, middle guy, Grush, who is the one, I think he had the New York Times interview. Anyway, he was reporting to a UAP task force within the military, very hush-hush stuff. 2019 to 2021, he became a whistleblower. May 2022 says that the government is absolutely in possession of UAPs. Uh, Well, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Um, UAP is unexplained or unidentified aerial phenomenon. You can't be in possession of a phenomenon. You'd be in possession of a spacecraft, (laughs) you know, that's what that's what you would be, and as far as it being a spacecraft, the other the third guy Fravor said he's the guy that saw the quote tic tac, I guess item that was shaped, had a pill shape, and was darting around like a ping pong ball. He said it could go straight up to uh, eighty thousand feet, which is space. It's like beyond the atmosphere. Anyway, um, and Grush said again, you know, perhaps not coincidentally that these things have been. Um, seen since the 1930s. Again, when, like, flight was entering popular consciousness. So, go figure. Um, Yeah, anyway, the Fravor guy, the third guy, was saying many commercial pilots over the Pacific spot, quote, lights. All right. Um, And uh, that he experienced radar jamming from the, quote, tic-tac, and that it appeared to be far beyond our current material science. So many questions, like... uh, Again, from the people who brought you Benghazi-gate, here we are. Um, And uh, The way that... I'm gonna forget her middle name again. Anna... Help me out here. I just have a mental block on her name. Anna Paulina Luna. The way she was just so excited. Uh, about this when she was talking about it, it was just like you had opened up U.S. Congress to like some, you know, backwater conspiracy forum on the internet basically so, anyway, alright going through the comments again <laughs> sorry aliens, were already married to God, you know it's funny um, there was a actually there was a post I saw, somebody was like aliens, Aliens to humanity, we will rule you with an iron fist. Uh, humans, our leaders already do that. Alright, well then, we will strip your planet of its resources. You're not going to believe this, but... You know. Will aliens bring communism? Uh, yes, yeah, Posada said. I mean... I don't know what they're waiting for, but, uh, yeah... We do, in fact, have Posadas audiobooks on the channel, um, which I put up really for the curiosity factor, because you see people making Posadas memes. And I was like, I should read some actual Posadas. We did this back in 2020. And, uh, you know, it's okay. I mean, I guess UFOs and and, um, atomic warfare were really gripping popular consciousness at that time. Uh, I tended to find... Like, he started out as more of, like, a mainline Trotskyist and then branched out into, you know, this very speculative stuff. And let me just say that... And people say that, you know, he was tortured and that the trauma kind of, like, um, you know, marred him psychologically and that that was where a lot of the the weird stuff that didn't make as much sense came from. I just have to say, like, a lot of his... um, socialist analysis is not really that good. You know, he makes a few points that are decent. Um, as far as, you know, I've read a fair amount of Marxist theory at this point. I did not think uh, Posadism was up there with uh, even the middle tier um, of it. but The aerial School UFO incident that happened in Rua, Zimbabwe is interesting to me. Um... Fair enough, I've never heard of that. The only aliens I want to learn about is the alienation of human beings and nature due to capitalism. There you go. I remember reading that there is an estimated 20,000 planets in the universe that have the same conditions as Earth for life. I mean, these are guesses because we don't actually know that much about the universe. I actually follow a fair amount. Once upon a time, I was... um, Interested in astrophysics, I really felt ultimately it was not my people, so to speak. Um, within academia, I, I realized I was not going to be very happy around lots of mathematicians. Um, just was not was not my vibe. But uh, yet the topic is interest interesting to me. Uh, you know, like m- many materialists, I, I am interested in physics and and the um, as new theories about the universe and space-time and just the nature of reality become uh, popularized and various scientists write about it, I do try to keep up with some of that, and there's actually a lot of YouTube channels of varying quality that do videos on it now, so it's actually easier than ever to keep up with some of the studies that come out, and even to get different critical perspectives on them. So it's not like just one guy, you know, interpreting um, studies in a particular way. But I mean, you know, that's interesting to me. Um, And what I notice is that there are continually new findings. We're just at the sort of baby steps. um, As far as understanding space, I mean, even getting high resolution images of various things outside of our solar system, um, or galaxy, is these things are increasing year to year and the new data that scientists get are completely changing their assumptions assumptions that were based on very blurry data previously about what we're looking at and then you have to completely revise the theories so i think it's in its infancy really as far as understanding much of space outside of uh, the solar system really so it's very interesting, though, but I think people sometimes leap to conclusions about stuff and then try to really nail down stuff that you know you're going to have to tear back up again later, and that's just how science goes. But I think particularly in the domain of, like, astrophysics and, and even the implications of the findings there for, you know, particle physics and, and sort of the, the subatomic domain, um it just keeps changing in radical, radical ways as our instruments improve, as more data are collected. So, you know, it's interesting, but I really caution people not to embrace any theory too tightly yet because the science is just changing so fast. Uh, just knowing that Matt Gates is involved should throw up a ton of red flags on anyone's bullshit meter. Absolutely. And again, look into Anna Paulina Luna. I remembered at that time. Okay, going back to Lumpen's question about organizing food workers in an institutional facility, yeah, there is UFCW, but, uh, and, and again, maybe SEIU, um, I don't think either of them are great unions in terms of, like, really being fighting unions, but, um, yeah, those are the ones, like, off the top of my head, uh, but they're not calling you back, yeah, it's something that you may want to go more of a DIY route, um, I don't know, this is a much longer conversation we, we'll come back to I believe there are animals on Europa a moon uh, it is at least probable because they have water uh, viewed outside of the ice sheets meaning warm enough oceans similar to here on earth I mean, you know, that, that's a belief based on very limited information so, is it a possibility? maybe uh, we really need a lot more information Yeah, our chemistry is so rudimentary it's impressive that we can do anything. Again, we're just it's been about 200 years that we have like that that the the building blocks of modern science have even been around. So obviously there is a steeply increasing pace with which um you know science used to advance more slowly, now it's advancing uh, just due to the instruments and everything, there, there are feedback loops there that, uh, like with computing power, the use of computers to do calculations and run simulations and models has vastly increased our ability to do you know, studies and to collate data. AI is probably gonna kick this up to another level that is way beyond what anybody thought. There was an interesting thing I was just watching, for example, about the use of AI to um, understand the subatomic particles within a proton and um, it isn't the highest level of confirmation yet but very close to it that um, what we had assumed about uh, what we had assumed about protons uh, the contents of protons is partly correct, but it's actually much more complicated than we thought. And again, it's AI that is able to do all the thinking and computations that lets us see that. So we're probably standing on the precipice of an explosion, like a revolution in science, basically, because we'll no longer just be using our own gray matter. Um, So, and where that goes, nobody knows. For physics, we don't know what dark matter is, which Yeah, and there's new theories on what dark matter is constantly. And none of them are that um, likely to be true. You know, there are many different theories. Are they black holes? What are they? Are they tiny black holes? Um, Is it dark energy? There's all kinds of different ideas, and none of them really seem that likely to be true. Um, Yet, there is um, the observable effects of the universe suggests that there's a lot more matter out there, but we can't detect this matter. So it could be there's some other kind of matter that we lack the material means of detecting or inter, you know interacting with measuring, and this could completely change everything that we think. So anyway... I found it interesting that the guy refused to outright say that they were aliens and even put forward the idea that they may be of interdimensional origin. Oh, I haven't gotten to that part yet. Spoiler alert. um, Yeah, like I said, you know, Hollow Earth, I think maybe, (laughs) like, is, uh, is, is on the table here. My cat had to get part of a tumor removed from his nose. The surgery cost three thousand dollars. People told me get cat insurance. I'm, I'm sick of this insurance-based uh, uh, for-profit healthcare crap we have. Even our animals can't escape it. Um, they'll charge you whatever they think they they can get away with charging you. That's how that's how it works. It's banditry. The only reason I could see aliens coming to Earth is to study societal collapse. Yeah, my, thought, my own thoughts are kind of like along the same lines. Let's say you're a very intelligent race and you detect, you know, humans tinkering around with nuclear energy in the last 70 years and stuff like that. Um, what you see, I think, is a species of intelligent ape that is basically flirting with destroying the planet it lives on. Period. Like... It may be possible that there are other life forms that, just in their genetic makeup, like their um, evolution over millennia, um, their relationship with the ancestral environment, um, you know, the 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 planet that they evolved on and things. It's just possible that um, another intelligent species developed technology along a much smoother course, whereas humans, I mean, we have an incredibly warlike situation over the last 10,000 years, Um, it seems, anyway, you know what I mean, and some of that is just based on instinct, I mean, it's also obviously exacerbated by um, social arrangements caused by material scarcity and things like that. Which may not be an issue for, like, let's say you have a photosynthetic intelligent, you know, life form or a chemosynthetic intelligent life form where they don't really have scarcity in the same way on, um, on like the the fundamentals that they need to live. It just might be different, um, you know, in in some fundamental ways. We, though, any life form is limited by its genetic blueprint, uh, because that's the basis of, of life. Um, and uh yeah what we have is uh intelligent apes that have managed to split the atom and at every step it just seems like we're at each other's throats in major major ways you know uh primarily trying to figure out new um technology for weapons and uh and other things if you were a superhuman alien species witnessing all this you might just be like ah you know we'll just let them do their thing we'll check back in 500 years if they're still there you know we'll um <laughs> we'll we'll uh maybe attempt contact but it might be you know they might consider it futile because it might be clear to them that we're just on a collision course with um disaster so yeah, I mean, it's it's. Let's not flatter ourselves too much about um, human greatness here. Again, like I said, we we have the capacity for a lot of different things, but our history has not been um, uh, the most impressive. Let's let's put it that way. So. Oh yeah, there's like the theory that UFO sightings line up with major conflicts, whether it's war or ecological, that they're maybe, like, here to observe or something. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's a lot of assumptions, but if I were them, I think you can see a couple of scenarios. There's that uh, movie that got a remake. I'm tempted to say a bad remake with Keanu Reeves, The Day the Earth Stood Still. I think it's from, like, late 2000s. But anyway, there was a 50s version of The Day the Earth Stood Still. Maybe it was 1960. Anyway, that's a great movie. Um, Klaatu Barada Nikto. Um, Spoiler alert, mute your thing for the next uh, 20, 30 seconds if you don't want to hear The Day the Earth Stood Still um, get spoiled. But essentially, it was uh, a commentary on nuclear weapons where an alien species came down to Earth and they left a sort of guardian robot on Earth, and they said, hey, we just detected that you have detonated an atomic bomb. Um, you now pose a threat to the safety of the entire, um, you know, all, all other life in the universe, and we're stationing this robot here, which will obliterate your species if you do anything stupid. Welcome to the Intergalactic Federation. See you later. Um, and it's The Day the Earth Stood Still because, to prove the point, they stopped all the technology uh, for like an hour, I think, in the middle of the day one day, sort of to get everybody's attention. Great movie, though. Uh, highly recommend it. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's also a commentary, I mean, not just on aliens. It's uh, social commentary on, hey, uh, countries have to figure out some way to get along. Obviously, some sort of uh, idealist... Um, bourgeois thinking there, but you know, you get the point, which is hey, humanity can now destroy, uh, has huge destructive power Um, we have to settle social conflicts of course as Marxists we know this is going to happen through if it's going to happen at all, it's going to happen through social revolution, but uh, yeah (laughs) an external stimulus plus the human brain, certainly an interesting situation, human brain capable of a lot um So S4A, if capitalism is a regressive force which never allows technology that empowers workers, I mean, it does to a certain extent, but it it does try to steer the technology away from empowering workers. But this is part of the theory of why proletarians would take over. Capitalism requires us to be educated to an extent that we can end up running the economy. You know what I mean? And, And then the capitalists make themselves obsolete through the education they have to give us just to do our jobs in their system. Anyway, doesn't AI kill capitalism before it kills us? So I had thoughts about this. This is actually a decent jumping off point. Um, This is a decent jumping off point for a community post that I put up the other day that was on the subject of AGI because Eliezer Yudkowsky, who we covered in Livestreams number 97 and 98, um, started warning after GPT-4, and not ChatGPT, but the technology on which it's based, which is much more advanced than ChatGPT. ChatGPT, like all chatbots, is a dumbed-down version of the core technology, which is GPT-4 in this case. And I did share a video uh, it's about a guy who teaches, he like works at Microsoft, teaches at Princeton, and it's called, if you search on um, GPT-4 Sparks of AGI, question mark, or if you scroll through the community tabs, uh, it's there. Anyway, this technology came out this spring, so recently, and Yudkowsky started, and it was either late March or early April, um, to warn about, you know, my God, like, GPT-4 is much more advanced. He had been working in AI safety for quite a while, and GPT-4 was much more advanced than he was prepared to see, and uh, somebody who works in AI safety, he was like, we have lost. You must shut it down immediately if it gets any more advanced. Um, the odds of us not being able to control it are, are very, very, very high. Um, and we are going to read, and I might just do both at once right now. But anyway, he did a TED Talk like two weeks ago, and so this was my community post. I'll just read it here. Last week, AI safety and alignment, basically AI alignment is the same, it's, a, it's another name for AI safety. AI safety and alignment scientist Eliezer Yudkowski gave a brief 10-minute TED Talk about what he calls AI not kill everyoneism, which you know people are like, do you have an ideology? And it's like, I just don't want AI to kill everyone which I think is likely if we build it. So, AI not kill everyoneism. I highly recommend checking it out and take special note of the audience, many of whom laugh at him or applaud gaily, as if he had just finished a most amusing routine on the parallel bars. Which he just looks up and is giving them the stare, like, um, can the children please leave the room? Or, anyway, laughter in this context can be understood as inappropriate, a crude psychological defense mechanism for denying the reality of a seriously threatening situation which the mind cannot bring itself to face. The follow-up questions to Yudkowsky afterward also completely missed the point in my opinion. It's not looking great so far. Here's the TED talk and I put the link. And I said I also highly recommend Yudkowsky's 2007 essay, The Power of Intelligence, which is on YouTube with a very nice accompanying animation there. The point that Yadkowski makes in The Power of Intelligence is that intelligence is a force of nature, like electricity. And by building AI, humans are now essentially building artificial generators of intelligence, just like we've been able to do with electricity for a few hundred years. In other words, um, to summarize it briefly, prior to humans, um, you know, there were um, moderately, you know, what we could call animal intelligent uh life forms and they didn't really have technology. I mean, we see chimps, for example, using a stick to like get ants out of an ant hill to eat them and stuff like that. but you know very, very limited technology, no science per se, and so on. And most animals uh, really have you know basically uh, no technology at all. So what are they limited to? They're limited to what their bodies, generate, you know, basically just what their genetics are capable of producing, whether it's a claw, whether it's a hard shell, whether it's wings, whether it's better vision, whether it's better hearing, whatever. Um, Most life is limited, quote, technologically to what its genes produce. So, you know, um, there are a variety of natural defense mechanisms Like a cactus, for example, has spikes. This prevents things from eating it, because out in the desert, water is really hard to come by, but it is found in plants, and if it wasn't for those thorns, uh, any animal would just eat all the cacti, and that would be that, and so on. And so, um, across many, many generations of evolution, there are these tiny changes from generation to generation, and... um, That's been the limit, but with humans, we... Well, let me just continue reading, because I kind of go into that. Anyway, harnessing a force, which is power, and taking account of and responsibility for all the outcomes of its use, wisdom, are two very different things. The former requiring a great understanding of certain laws of nature. Harnessing a force of nature, getting that power, is impressive. You really need to know a lot about the nature of reality to do that. But the latter, taking account of and responsibility for all the outcomes of its use, requires even more knowledge. Because you don't just have to know how that thing works, you also have to know how it impacts lots of other things. Which means you have to understand how all those other things work as well. So... What I'd like to add to this is that humans under capitalism already use electricity on a day-to-day basis in ways which are endangering the material foundations of our existence by polluting the fragile biosphere on which we depend to the breaking point. So what are we likely to do with artificially generated intelligence, a totally unprecedented condition, if we continue to use it similarly? We need a new ideology to guide the society-wide large-scale use of this ecosystem-shattering technology. That that ideology is socialism. Capitalism, with its necessarily short-term profit-seeking directives as its highest priority in organizing industrial and social activity, simply will kill us all, whether it means to or not, if we allow this power to stay in its hands. It literally can't do otherwise. So capitalism cannot be our future if we are to have a future. Why is this? So I continued in the pinned comment. Let me bring up the pinned comment. All life exists in a dialectical, two-way, dynamic relationship with the non-living or abiotic environment and with other living organisms. The non-living environment consists of certain material conditions which existed prior to the emergence of life. When living, self-organizing, self-replicating matter, what we call life, emerged, the genetic material which constitutes its blueprints faced evolutionary pressures, survival pressures, from these abiotic material conditions. It had to figure out how to keep self-replicating in those conditions. Living organisms, by transforming some abiotic materials, as well as other living organisms, into other materials in the course of their metabolic processes, then shaped the environment in return in some minuscule ways. And so this dialectical web of interactions began. The abiotic environment gave rise to life, and then life began to change the abiotic environment and other living things. So you have a big web of relationships going on. Almost all organisms that we know of have a definite lifespan. That is, we age and we die. Why did I say almost all organisms? There are some organisms like the immortal jellyfish that theoretically could live forever. Um, They can get eaten or killed, but they can actually reverse their aging. And there's other things like sea sponges, certain kinds of sea sponges at least, that can live like 10,000 years and possibly longer. Anyway, but almost all organisms that we know of have a definite lifespan, meaning even under the best of conditions, they will age and die. They cannot live forever. And so they must undergo some form of reproduction in order to see their type of life continue beyond death. In this way, each new generation of life with our slightly altered genetic code compared to the previous generation. So this is mutation. The genetic material does not get copied perfectly from generation to generation, at least usually. I guess it's theoretically possible that you would get some exact copies once in a while, but more often than not, much more often than not, there are slight mutations and variations. So you have a slightly altered genetic code compared to the previous generation, and that's what you get between generations of life. And so each new generation of slightly altered life has faced a slightly, up to this point at least slightly, different environment than our ancestors did. And our own genetic foundations too have been slightly different from our ancestors. So this is evolution, the slow intergenerational adaptation of life To its usually very slowly changing environment, or even if the environment changes um, more rapidly, usually it's in some kind of cyclical pattern. It's not just sheer chaos. In other words, organisms, and and so in other words, life can adapt to it. It can learn though that periodicity and you know live within that set of conditions, although the conditions will not be static. You know all the time. Organisms which turn out to be more fit for the current environment are more likely to survive and reproduce, while those less fit must either seek a different environment in which they're more successful, or they'll be less likely to survive and reproduce, possibly vanishing from existence altogether over time. The environment shapes life, and life shapes the environment, and altogether, again, this process historically has moved at a crawl. So while the non-living environment is dispassionately durable, you know, it doesn't care, stars crash into each other, they get torn apart, they explode, they're supernovas. Black holes devour matter, and then they leak out. It's distorted remnants, it's Hawking radiation. Life is not so durable. Living matter as we know it is extremely fragile. It exists only within very narrow sets of conditions. Too hot, you die. Too cold, you die. Too dry, you die. Not enough oxygen, you die. Too many mutagenic chemicals in your water, you die. Too much ionizing radiation, you die, and so on. It can happen very quickly, you know, running out of air, for example, and it's very unforgiving. So, in general, life has learned to stick pretty closely to what it knows it can survive in any given window of time in order to keep on going changing significantly only when faced by, forced by conditions to develop new ways to continue on. For most life, this has meant developing new genetic or biological traits, but for present-day humans, we've developed the one biological trait to rule them all, and this sort of links back up with that Power of Intelligence essay. One of our biological traits rooted in our genes is massively heightened intelligence, compared to the other life on Earth. There are a few other um, somewhat intelligent species. For example, certain species of birds um, are capable of solving puzzles on the level of, like, a seven- or eight-year-old child, like crows, corvids, basically. Um, Octopi also seem to be intelligent in a different way. They, too, can solve puzzles. But their intelligence is, like, really different. Their arms um, can act almost independently of each other. So, I mean, they are very different forms of intelligence that evolved somewhat separately. But there are very few instances of species that have this at all, and humans seem to have, by far, the most. Anyway, this massively heightened intelligence, which is a biological feature, allows us to manipulate our environment technologically to an extent which is unique to our species. And we're now about to augment that natural intelligence with a product of its own creation, artificial intelligence, probably causing an explosion in technical and possibly even artistic know-how, the specifics of which are impossible for us to predict with our comparatively lesser innate intelligence. While it could be said that all life has a certain level of intelligence for going about its business of surviving, compared to present-day humans, most of this intelligence is quite limited, and so the environmental problems that other life forms can create for themselves and for other species while, quote, rationally but potentially unwisely pursuing various forms of comfort and advantage, which is what we're doing with this technology. We're pursuing comfort, advantage, um, but the unintended consequences, again, this is unwise use, going back to that power versus wisdom distinction. Hey, you figured out uh, how to make an air conditioner. Tremendous. Um, Do you understand all of the ways it's going to impact everything else? The answer, overwhelmingly, is let's just not think about it. Anyway, the environmental problems that other life forms can create for themselves while quote, rationally but potentially unwisely pursuing various forms of comfort and advantage are just nowhere near the level of being planet-destroying. You could give a present-day cat, for example, a million years to write the great American novel. It simply wouldn't be able to grasp the assignment. You could give a present-day maple tree eternity to develop nuclear fusion and it would just stand there humans on the other hand have evolved new parts of our brains which allow us to do extraordinary things yet we do not currently have an ideology in place that can keep us safe from all the unintended consequences of our technology technology that's now developing at a lightning pace introducing new material environmental conditions new material environmental conditions which are running roughshod over our genetic basis and potentially that of all terrestrial life, which again evolved to meet certain ranges of conditions on this earth. It's possible that through our technology, we could cause atmospheric and other environmental changes that take the earth outside any of the conditions that any of the life presently on it can survive. And we do not adapt to new conditions genetically as quickly as we're changing conditions technologically. This is simply a problem most other organisms do not face. So we humans must face it alone and fast. The situation standing in stark contrast, if we choose to acknowledge it over previous eras of life, is that humans now have the curious technological ability to shape our environment much faster than it can shape us. To me, restating it in this way was something I'd been trying to articulate for a long time, but there it is. Humans now have the curious technological ability to shape our environment much faster than it can shape us. What does that mean? It means that faster than we can biologically evolve from generation to generation to adapt to and cope with our environment's changes, or in other words, to survive our environments changes which we are inducing because remember the natural environment changes at a certain pace humans have been in sync with that for a very long time we now are and the environment changes us over time we adapt to those conditions there's a certain amount of genetic variation possible between generations and there's a certain rate of evolution uh, that's possible You know, there are some life forms like, uh, I think, alligators and dragonflies that achieved a very fit form a long time ago and haven't really changed much. Humans, though, have been changing a lot. But the problem is, you know, we can't in three generations evolve to withstand 120 degree heat on a daily basis. That's not a thing that we can do. We can evolve a certain amount which is in accordance with the amount that the environment was naturally changing over the course of most of our evolution and existence. But we're now changing the environment faster than it can change us. If the environment challenges our survival threshold more quickly than we can adapt to it genetically, which is again a very slow process, then we, maybe all of us, die, and we probably will take many other species, maybe all of them, with us. Capitalism is the class ideology which brought us to this point of technological and social development, but it will now kill us if we continue to let it rain. That's a choice that the human masses of the earth now face on a daily basis. It's staring us in the face with every report of record heat, every study on forever chemicals in the rainwater, etc. Will we let capitalism continue? That is the question that comes through all of these. Socialism or extinction is the necessary framing now. Socialism is inevitable, not in the sense that it's guaranteed to happen, it isn't. We have to organize the World Socialist Revolution in region after region of the planet as quickly as we can do it. But it is inevitable in the sense that if we want a future for humanity, socialism is now the only way we can access it. By accepting this, we can fight to win the world, or by denying it, we can fight to numb the pain of ecocide with the false comforts of the dysfunctional behaviors which are currently bringing it about. These are the options handed to us by history. And so <clears throat> I link there for further reading uh, two Yudkowsky articles, AGI Ruin, A List of Lethalities, and the more uh, satirical tongue-in-cheek uh, Miri Announces a New Death with Dignity Strategy, both from 2022. We're going to read AGI Ruin, later in the stream, but I want to get back into the chat. I'm sure um, people have some thoughts about that, but I thought that that was a good um, jumping off point for that. The productivity boom from AI certainly heightened contradictions considerably. I mean, already, yeah, AI is um, rapidly changing the way many types of jobs are done and are going to be done in the next 30 years. I think some of the estimates I've been seeing is like A third of current jobs will be redundant, unnecessary. Uh, Human labor will not be required to the current extent because AI will um, take over the process where it it needs much less human input. So yeah, huge disruptions there. Oh, World Socialist website posted an article urging the Amazon workers in Alabama to vote no on the union in 2021. I missed that. Um, I don't know any of the details on that. Seems bad on its face. I don't, I don't know what their reasoning was. Uh, a bit off topic, but Cornell West going on Lee Camp's show, redacted, uh, was it redacted tonight? Calling the Soviet Union an empire and an example of human greed was cringy. Yeah, I don't think he's coming from a place of, like, uh, criticism, you know, from a Marxist stance of, like, that it was maybe social imperialist or something like that but just sort of a blanket, just like uh, anti-communist way, uh, an example of human greed. Yeah, that's... The U.S. left needs to... You know, this is the, the kind of barometer for how how mature politically is the U.S. left, is, you know, who are its sort of uh, standard bearers? And, again, I think uh, Cornell West is even a step backwards from Bernie Sanders, but what we're going to get until and unless there is a widespread militant labor movement and tens of millions of workers become vastly more class conscious through struggle and study and uh, realize their strength and start raising their heads higher, looking further out on the horizon as far as the uh, scope of the demands that they can make, just bit my tongue, um, The class consciousness has to come up much higher or else you're just going to keep getting these reformist sock DEMs that are trying to either do things through political channels like Bernie Sanders. Uh, That's not to say nothing can be done through political channels, it can. For example, you could um, change, make changes to the labor laws to make it easier to form unions. Democrats have been talking about card check forever. They never do it because the uh, labor movement, organized workers aren't strong enough to make them do it. And so this is the barometer. Um, it, when you have these sort of reformist sock DEMs and there's very little labor movement, it means the working class is weak. and so you know when it's it's the Cornell West type of leadership of the left, this is a politically immature naive low class consciousness left and that's the kind of people it generates. Um, bad struggle makes a bad vanguard. Uh, because the vanguard is just the most class-conscious contingent within the working class. And if your overall level of class consciousness is very low, you know, your vanguard, the relatively, you know, the upper 5 or 10% of the most class-conscious people, um, is also, you know, it's you have a lower baseline for the whole thing. And so you're going to keep getting these sort of reformist SOC either trying to do things through po- just political channels, not really backed up by a militant labor movement that can really shut down um, industry, uh, you know, really show capital that we run things, and, and, and has that consciousness of itself as a strong, organized class force. Um, and then even worse than just trying to do things through political channels, which I think Bernie Sanders honestly had a more realistic shot at doing, I mean, say what you want about him. And we've said a lot, he was at least qualified to be president. He was in Congress for like 25 years. I mean, he, he actually knows the U.S. government, has experience with it. Uh, he could have done the job. Whereas somebody like Cornel West, it's just this sort of protest vote. It's this sort of futile, um, you know, just sort of empty symbolic gesture of we're going to run a, a, a protest campaign. That's, there's no strength in that. You know, there's, there's no real strength in that. And again, it's a reflection, I think, of the overall left. If this is what we generate and this is what we accept as, a, as the working class of the United States, it shows that we need um, much more class consciousness and mainly getting that by rebuilding a militant labor movement that knows its own strength and that knows the score in capitalism, knows who's on whose side and is capable of fighting. But in the meantime, we're going to get these, you know, pretenders and charlatans basically hovering over the, uh, you know, it's like in the cartoons where the person's, like, crawling through the desert and the vultures are just sort of uh, circling around their head. That's what this is, basically, is the barely alive semi-corpse of the U.S. working class um, not standing up and calling the shots, but having these sort of, you know, pretenders and grifters um, swooping in on its corpse. So yeah. What about bias? Okay, and so on with AGI. Science is often about reinterpretation. Uh, interesting comment. I this is I think too far afield of our current discussion, but maybe bring it up again in the future. I'm sure we'll keep talking about AI. I mean, if there's one thing Marxists do focus on, it's like changes in the way that productive technology, uh, you know, has had ramifications on society. I think I said that correctly. Um, It behooves us to digest and understand this. Uh, We got a great comment here. USSR is sucks. Thank you for that bold contribution to the discourse, Dean91. I have to get my moderation tab open, but thank you. AI isn't capable of thinking dialectically now or probably for quite some time in the future. Uh, Watch the Sparks of AGI video because it does show reasoning capability. I don't know exactly what your criteria of thinking dialectically in quotes is, um, but there were... Psychological experiments performed with uh, GPT-4, which showed that it definitely had human-like reasoning capability, that was not just based on predictive text. Um, It seemed to actually understand the concepts that were presented to it. um so constraint your comment to me there's there's another whole comment here it seems to fly in the face of the performance that we see out of um out of GPT-4 etc that is showing uh, emergent capabilities they tend to be very specialized well that's not what we're talking about though we're talking about AGI um Humans need much less information and infrastructure to operate in the world. That's not real relevant. Um, I mean, yeah, we have different um, trajectories to our existence. Their abilities are impressive. I don't know why they tend to mystify what they are. It's a machine. It can be a machine and still very dangerous. So I, I, I don't know that any of these comments are that relevant to the concerns being presented. Anyway, uh, back on UFOs for a second, the American Heroes Channel, okay, AHC Military History Channel, keeps having segments on UFOs and aliens. They keep having on Eric Von Deniken, author of Chariots of the Gods and Aftermath of Abductions. Again, this is like fascist TV, basically. This is the kind of stuff they would have you preoccupied with. Fravor, the third guy who was testifying, also said that the Tic Tac craft could do a 180 instantly, which no man-made craft we know about can do. Yeah, he sure did say that. And that's what I know, is that he said that. Yeah, talking about going into space or doing anything space-related at the moment is insane. Our planet is on fire. Their answer is go to space. Maybe when... Our house is in order. I know that this has been. I mean, I don't think anyone's really talking about we are going to space anytime soon. The missions to Mars have been very, very limited. Um, I mean, I think it's sort of a pipe dream to really think about, you know, terraforming on Mars or something like that as like a realistic thing. Uh, let's put it this way: if if any humans have to escape, you know, basically apocalypse on Earth and end up on Mars. Think their days will be very limited, and I think um, th- that sort of future would be very bleak, probably not much beyond literally mere survival, and again on what kind of timeline even is, is ridiculous. So yeah, I mean, I think that there's something to be said for understanding space. The idea that we are going to go colonize somewhere else and successfully live there when we face imminent existential threats in the next few decades is ridiculous because it would definitely take longer than that for us to uh, find somewhere else to live, let's put it that way. That's exactly how I got into scientific socialism. I was really into astrophysics. There you go. If AI can solve quantum physics, then I'm probably wrong about it thinking dialectically. Again, you know, it, it is um, most of the AI systems, like they, they do what you tell them to do. Um, and so they are many of them tools in that sense. Um, the, the more concerning thing we're talking about is in AGI. So people really need to not, um, you know, stay on subject, in other words, so, yeah, there are AIs that are specialized to one particular topic that really do not cause any existential concern to uh, humanity. Again, let's maybe hold off on, on those comments uh, uh, until we've you know read the article. Then, for example, um, Constraint, I would be interested in hearing your thoughts on it. Um, but, yeah. I am doing my dissertation on weak gravitational lensing, which is cool and all, but I find it hard to justify myself working out mass distributions, standard and dark matter as a career, when we're all headed towards our great filter. Yeah, I mean, the work you're doing is probably very important. Um, I mean, and in the context of not facing great existential risks, I'm sure it could be of great value to humanity. However, if we fail, On a great existential risk, which we are now confronting, then it literally means nothing, as do all the great artistic and literary achievements, etc., etc. So, we do need to be very focused on surviving this right now. Um, And yeah, we can pick up with the science, you know, afterwards. Uh, We probably look crazy to aliens intelligent enough to see us. That's kind of what I was saying is like, if, if I was a super intelligent alien, uh, I'd probably be like, you know, let's see if these things blow themselves up. If, if they last 500 years, maybe we'll have a conversation then. But I mean, um, just go look up some public meltdown videos and like, I don't know, is this a species you really want to have conversations with? I'm, I'm overgeneralizing, generalizing. that is tongue-in-cheek and humorous, but you kind of get the point. We're somewhat psychologically unstable as a species. We're a very aggressive species. And a very, um, you know, people like to think of themselves as so kind of tough. And uh, people, though, psychologically are hugely vulnerable. We're very, you know, just emotional. People get traumatized very easily. Um, You know, humans are are very, very vulnerable. I've made this point a lot. We have a lot of psychological vulnerabilities. I think we overestimate our greatness and our strength a lot. We do do have a lot of um, intelligence and imagination. We can do some very interesting things. We've made huge technological advances and are capable of, you know, manipulating the material world in some impressive ways. But the base sort of monkey brain we have is riddled with kind of like uh, very, very uh, potentially self-destructive impulses. And we're just, we're so easily um, hijacked by trauma. Let's see. Capitalism is only a regressive force relative to more advanced forces, productive forces of a given epoch. Yeah, so I mean, capitalism was progressive in relation to feudalism, but once socialism becomes a possibility, um, it is reactionary to cling to capitalism, so... Yeah, we live in the age of imperialism and proletarian revolutions and counter-revolution has gained the upper hand for the last few decades and we need to change that, absolutely. If it's smarter than you, then it understands all the problems better than you. Yeah, that's one of the basic points. Our response to AI is just like our response to SARS, yeah, SARS-2, uh, COVID. First we let it spread, then we try to find a remedy. Humans are smart and stupid at the same time. Well, you know, we're capable, but it doesn't mean we're wise, you know what I mean? We're we're good at focusing on one or two things at a time, but the big picture thinking isn't always there. And again, you you need... Um, to integrate and coordinate social systems to do that—it's part of the reason why we need socialism—is you need to actually bring together all the science and all these perspectives in a way that's not just filtered for profit. You know, uh, the TED Talk, Eliezer Yudkowsky. Just go to the community tab or Yudkowsky, Y-U-D-K-O-W-S-K-Y. Um, there's a there's a TED Talk from like two weeks ago. I think it was you who I heard say that in the next ten years the most important the left, most important leftist in the U.S. might be an AI in regards to not having a higher quality of left leadership. I don't recall saying that, but I think I get what you're saying is that uh, our, our leadership is lacking and could be, um, you know, mimicked by a machine easily. Workers' organizations make you visible to the world. UPS drivers don't have AC, and the Internet is freaking out about it. No one would even know about the Teamsters' strike and AC and vans being among their demands. Yeah, now I read something recently. Speaking of WSWS, World Socialist website, somebody was just sharing an article. I don't have screenshots. I just wanted to look at it briefly. Apparently, um, and we discussed this on Tuesday, so it was just a couple days ago, and um, The news was, like the headlines on Tuesday was the UPS workers got everything that they wanted just by threatening a strike. Apparently, um, a closer look at the deal reveals some not-so-great stuff. So the title of the article, and again, I haven't had time to read this. Uh, The title of the article is Anatomy of a Sellout. UPS tentative agreement includes two-tier wages for part-timers and freezes to pension contributions for some. It's by Tom Hall. And so more details are coming to light about the five-year tentative agreement at UPS as workers begin going through what has been released so far by the Teamsters. The union has posted the text of the tentative agreement on its internal app. The agreement was suddenly announced Tuesday morning, only hours after the restart of talks, in order to block a strike next week by 340,000 UPS workers. That would have power. For months, Teamsters General President Sean O'Brien and the union bureaucracy have made countless pledges to call a strike by August 1st if a deal was not in place by then. This has now been exposed as theatrics designed to get in front of rank and file anger. Quote, We've been watching a movie, is what we've been doing, one worker at UPS's Worldport Hub in Louisville, Kentucky said. Quote, You had a 90% strike authorization vote. You had more leverage than you'll ever have. And you came out with this substandard contract. The deal came only two days after the Teamsters had called off a strike by 22,000 workers at the freight company Yellow in an attempt to separate workers at each company and enforce sellouts at each. While the Teamsters announced a, quote, deal purporting to give Yellow more time to pay outstanding pension obligations, the company is using the time instead to prepare for bankruptcy as soon as next Tuesday, according to a report in Freight Waves. I guess an industry... um, Logistics magazine. The New York Times, summing up the attitude of Wall Street, declared the agreement important, quote, to the economy in an article published in its Wednesday edition. Quote, The deal, if ratified, removes a serious threat to the U.S. economy, unquote, which would have cost $7 billion over 10 days, the newspaper declared, drawing parallels with the potential railroad strike last year, which was ultimately banned by Biden in Congress. So anyway, it goes on that this was a way to avert the strike, Um, With a substandard deal that when people realize what it is, they won't be that happy. It includes two-tier wages for part-timers And a number of other things below inflation wages for drivers and Pension contribution freezes a trickle of full-time jobs I'm just leaving this reading the section headings trickle of full-time jobs leaving part-timers to wait decades is it even worth the paper? It's printed on so I'll link that article there and This, I think, just came out today, so, um, yeah, apparently further analysis is needed as to whether this was actually a decent deal, or whether they just kind of shut down the strike with, uh, you know, dangling a shiny object there. Do you agree with Chris Smalls that Teamsters not striking was bad? Almost think he is missing the forest for the trees, but I sympathize with his urgency. Um, I think ultimately we need to build up class consciousness, and a great way to do that is showing workers what a strike can accomplish. We shut down the economy, and it clicks with a lot of people, oh, hey, I'm what keeps the economy going. If I don't like things, we can withhold our labor in an organized way and change it. In fact, it's the only real weapon we have. In a society based on the exchange of commodities, the only commodity you have is your labor power, then withholding that strategically is your only real weapon. So um, I haven't seen Chris Small's reasoning on that, but maybe we can explore that in the next stream. I could see why, uh, in other words, if 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 that's the case, especially if the deal that they got was hollow. You know that they called off the strike and they didn't even get, you know, what what they uh, what they wanted. Great work. Keep up the struggle and making quality content. Nothing is immutable, uh, but change. And I look forward to a socialist world. Yeah. You know, this is the thing. Humans, like most other life, really just have to has to live within the confines of nature. Humans, by dint of our, albeit natural intelligence and the technology we can create using it, we are able to change the material world, in a way just other species can't. So in a way, and especially with you know, things like AI, inventions like AI, we may be able to cause fundamental you know tearings of the fabric of reality, so to speak, um, unmooring ourselves from material uh, conditions in really fundamental ways. Whether we're able to actually coordinate that in a way that doesn't kill us is like the big question here. Capitalism for sure is not going to be able to do that. If we have any hope of doing it, it's through socialism. You know, the other, the real limitation here is our genetic basis. Um, Humans have genes and they, you know, create all the proteins and stuff that we are made of. And um, we have to live by the dictates of our genes, essentially. You know, we, we, um, they have to keep going on replicating, otherwise there is no story of us so to speak. um, If we ever come up with a way to, you know, liberate ourselves from that, um, create, um, you know, human like organisms that have a different genetic basis that are more durable life forms, but are, you know, otherwise, uh, sort of our offspring, that may be one way that we're able to survive much wider um, ranges of material environmental conditions. Right now, though, we got to live by the dictates of, you know, those genes which keep us anchored, needing certain conditions uh, to survive. From my understanding, Smalls told the New York Times that he wasn't willing to go on strike and the split in the Amazon labor union uh, is people who are more militant and want more democracy within the union. The leadership is hand picked. Chris Small's even shoved one of the people advocating for a split. Yeah, no, I, I missed all of that. Again, uh, I'm off of Twitter in this transitional period of using Blue Sky and Mastodon. Uh, I just have not uh, connected with the um, with all the news sources that I was following on Twitter. Uh, however, I'm not going back onto Twitter to um, to get them. So there's probably just going to be uh, limited information for a while. So they definitely didn't get the good deal. Part-timers aren't even getting the $25 they were fighting for. AC is only going into newly bought vehicles. All the vehicles they already have won't have AC installed. Wow. I wonder if the union only made an agreement to show that they're acting in good faith, knowing that workers could easily still vote it down. I know there are certain laws that can nullify the ability to strike if the union is not bargaining in good faith. Yeah, so both sides have to bargain in good faith, um, the employer and the union, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure of the circumstances in this case. I hope solidarity across all drivers, even if it's those from the largest employers, so there will be greater power and greater benefits. I think we will get there. Even if this strike was a stumble, we're going to keep coming back to this point. Workers will eventually figure it out. Um, I see the question there about Tupac. He was a communist and very popular. Do you think that had anything to do with his death? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But yes, he was. His um, parents and I think stepfather were radicals, and he was in the Young Communist League, I think, when he was a kid. I don't know if it's always reflected in his music, but uh, yeah. Do you think there are alternative sites to YouTube and Twitch? Um, Depends on for which purpose. We're also posting on SoundCloud and Spotify now. SoundCloud is audio only, but uh, Spotify is actually now open to podcasters, and you can upload video episodes. It obviously doesn't have the same user base at this point, but um, that's one thing. So, yeah. I mean, there's Vimeo as well, but that's really more of like a niche thing. All right, so we're kind of caught up on that. Continuing on the AGI thing, I really wanna to get to this today. I'm not sure if we're gonna to get to the Russia thing or not, but it'll be the last thing uh, if, if we do have time for it. Let's read the AGI thing, and I thank you, by the way. I know I have said um, to people, you know, maybe hold off until we've read that. People are holding off, so genuinely, sincerely, thank you. Um, let me throw one thing out first, actually, now that I've just uh, teased you with that. I would be totally remiss not to get back into this. Quick note on COVID. So we mentioned in the Tuesday stream that there is a new wave of COVID starting. We've been in a long lull for a while, although even this lull was much higher than the 2020 lull or the 2021 lull or the early 2022 lull. The 2023 lull bottomed out around 200 copies of virus per milliliter of sewage and that's much higher than it had been in the past. So even the lull, you know, the quote end of the emergency was at a much higher level than previous, um, you know, between wave lull periods in previous years. So we're three and a half years into the pandemic now, and we're getting another wave, you can see it there on the total results. So let's zoom in on that a little bit closer. Uh, Because we have more data now than we had on Tuesday, plus I got the regional thing. I was missing a uh, thing from that. Here's the six-month view. So you can see that the overall national uh, wastewater levels are maybe at the 360 level. By the time you get to above 600, you're in really bad shape. Like 600 to 1,000 is considered, you know, like a spike, basically. So we're more than halfway to 600. Um, and climbing steadily now. Let's zoom in on the six-week view. There's the six-week view so we can see that basically for the last five weeks there's been a steady would you call that a 25 or 30 degree angle to the curve so COVID is not over and we're getting a new wave it's driven by this hodgepodge of XBB variants all of which have like 10 to 20 percent prevalence uh, there's a lot of different XBB variants. It's not just one particular variant of it. It's like XBB. 0.1.5.1. 1. 1, like all, all of these numbers, but they're all basically XBB. XBB is, in other words, in this uh, this year's Omicron, where it had all these different offspring strains. Let's break it down by region now. Here's the six month view of regions. So actually, let me go into the six week view of regions because it'll be a little clearer. Um, you can see there on the right side, there are four regions to the U.S. for the purposes of this chart. The west is green, Midwest is purple, south, southeast is uh, Texas, Florida, Virginia basically, uh, up to Kentucky and West Virginia is pink, and then the northeast, so Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, and New England are in the orangey yellow. <clears throat> what do we see? All the East Coast Uh, both the orange and the pink are basically in sync at the same level so the um, northeast is leading the southeast but just by uh, just by a little bit I understand this is being driven in part in the southeast by a big spike in Texas although I haven't gotten into the details there you can see these data were last updated today from samples collected this week so this is very current and you can see all four regions are going up so we are in another wave of COVID. How extensive it will be, I don't know exactly. But um, you know, again, the northeast and southeast—they're like at the 350 level, and it, it's on—it's on its way to again a new a new wave. So there's the six-month view, and uh, concerning stuff about COVID. Keep masking. Keep avoiding crowds. I mean, yeah, it's a pain and I hope people got their safe activities in while still masking during the lull. But you know those times uh, are now fading fast and we're getting, a, getting another wave coming in. So this is very similar also, if we go to the overall thing, this is very similar to the, the pattern that we saw in 2021 where there was a lull and then um, Delta started coming in in July. That was when the um, wave started. And then you had that little peak in um, fall of 2021. Then it slightly receded. Then we got a huge spike of Omicron. And so far, it's a similar pattern where for most of the year, you know, we had um, kind of a, a peak in January. Then it receded. And then through the late winter and spring and early summer, there was a lull. And then a wave started. Uh, in in late July, that's what we're getting this year. Where it will go from here, you know, nobody knows. But uh, that's that's what we've got so far. All right, so that's it. Now let's do the AGI thing. So this is from Miri, the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, and it's from about a year ago, 13 months ago, June 10, 2022, by Eliezer Yudkowsky, who we have uh, covered on the channel before. This was one of his. Um, for further reading recommendations in his TED Talk, and so I wanted to uh, read it because this is an interesting topic that I think is worth trying to digest. Um, as Maria said, yeah, it's like we let the problem run rampant first, then try to figure out solutions to it, rather than the wiser thing of um, you know looking at the risk ahead of time. Um, anyway, so preamble. Uh, Well, let's read the title. AGI Ruin, A List of Lethalities. Preamble. If you're already familiar with all basics and don't want any preamble, skip ahead to section B for the technical difficulties of AI alignment proper. Okay, well, we need the basics, so let's read the whole thing. I have several times failed to write up a well-organized list of reasons why AGI, that is Advanced General Intelligence, which is superior to humans, in performance on all tasks of intelligence that we can measure. Uh, Why AGI will kill you. People come in with different ideas about why AGI would be survivable and want to hear different obviously key points addressed first. Some fraction of those people are loudly upset with me if the obviously most important points aren't addressed immediately and I address different points first instead. Having failed to solve the problem, this problem in any good way, I now give up and solve it poorly with a poorly organized list of individual rants. I'm not particularly happy with this list. The alternative, though, was publishing nothing, and publishing this seems marginally more dignified. Three points about the general subject matter of discussion here, numbered so as not to conflict with the list of lethalities. Negative three, so prefatory points, I'm assuming that you're already familiar with some basics and already know what orthogonality and instrumental convergence are and why they're true. People occasionally claim to me that I need to stop fighting old wars here because those people claim to me those wars have already been won within the important, according to them, parts of the current audience. I suppose it's at least true that none of the current major EA funders seem to be visibly in denial about orthogonality or instrumental conversion, convergence as such. So, fine. If you don't know what orthogonality or instrumental convergence are, or don't see for yourself why they're true, you need a different introduction than this one. So, tell you what, why don't we just read definitions of those as, as linked in this article? So, Because I'm sure there will be plenty of people in this more social sciences oriented uh, general audience who could benefit from this so orthogonality in mathematics orthogonality is the generalization of the geometric notion of perpendicularity right orthogonality is also used with various meanings that are often weakly related or not related at all so sort of more uh... metaphorical uh... uses um, as far as the uh the mathematical um, version goes. So as far as um, computer science, this is in programming language design, the ability to use various language features in arbitrary combinations with consistent results. So quite different from the mathematical So in programming language design, the ability to use various language features in arbitrary combinations with consistent results. This usage was introduced in the design of Algol 68, Uh, quoting Van Wingarden, the number of independent primitive concepts has been minimized in order that the language be easy to describe, to learn, and to implement. On the other hand, these concepts have been applied orthogonally in order to maximize the expressive power of the language while trying to avoid deleterious or harmful superfluities. Quote. Orthogonality is a system design property which guarantees that modifying the technical effect produced by the component of a system neither creates nor propagates side effects to other components of the system. Typically, this is achieved through the separation of concerns and encapsulation, and it is essential for feasible and compact designs of complex systems certainly to include AI. The emergent behavior of a system consisting of components should be controlled strictly by formal definitions of its logic and not by side effects resulting from poor integration, i.e. non-orthogonal design of modules and interfaces. Orthogonality reduces testing and development time because it is easier to verify designs that neither cause side effects nor depend on them. Also, an orthogonal instruction set Uh, is one that lacks redundancy. In other words, there's only a single instruction that can be used to accomplish a given task. So, there's only one path to get to any one particular outcome and is designed such that instructions can use any register. These are more technical terms. Um, Okay, so we've got here basically the concept that you know what's going on in your system because if you're getting an effect, you know what the cause is. There's not side effects of uh, poorly contained things that are leaking out and causing things that could have come from here, could have come from here, could have come from here. All right. I think for our purposes, that's that's probably uh, good enough for now. Let's also do instrumental convergence. This is a hypothesis about intelligent, intelligent agents. And yes, I'm riffing off of Wikipedia here. Uh, instrumental convergence is the hypothetical tendency for most sufficiently intelligent human beings, both human and non human, to pursue similar sub goals, even if their ultimate goals are pretty different. More precisely, agents or beings that have agency may pursue instrumental goals, goals which are made in pursuit of some particular end but are not the end goals themselves, without ceasing, provided that their ultimate or intrinsic goals may never be fully satisfied. Instrumental convergence posits that an intelligent agent with unbounded but harmless goals can act in surprisingly harmful ways. For example, a computer with the sole, unconstrained purpose of solving a complex mathematics problem like the Riemann hypothesis could attempt to turn the entire Earth into one giant computer in order to increase its computational power in order to succeed in those calculations. So this is, I just always think back to uh, <laughs> Short Circuit 2, where Johnny 5 just kept saying more input, and the room was just buried in books because he uh, could not stop reading, for example. So turn the entire room into just a pile of books uh, in pursuit of the goal of more input. It, although here, I'm not sure that that had a definite goal, but here, for example, trying to solve an extremely different uh, difficult calculation, which... May not be even solvable. Um, Turning the entire computer, uh, turning the entire Earth, into a computer in order to get a computer big enough to do the computations. So there you have instrumental convergence. Okay. So in other words, you tell it to do something, or you know, it sets the, it has the goal set one way or another of doing something difficult, and it winds up sort of uh, doing really harmful things trying to pursue a seemingly harmless goal. All right, so there we go. I think we have the uh, requisite background vocab. Let's keep going. Uh, Prefatory point uh, negative two. When I say that alignment, getting AI to do what you want, is lethally difficult, and not just what you want, but to act generally, if it is autonomous, to act in ways that are aligned with human interest which it's very much not human, so it could be very difficult. In fact, Yudkowsky says it is lethally difficult, and when he says this, he's not talking about ideal or perfect goals of, quote, provable alignment, nor a total alignment of superintelligences on exact human values, nor getting AIs to produce satisfactory arguments about moral dilemmas, which sort of reasonable humans disagree about, nor attaining an absolute certainty of an AI not killing everyone. When I say that alignment is difficult, I mean that in practice, using the techniques we actually have, please don't disassemble literally everyone with probability roughly one, is an overly large ask that we are not on course to get. So far as I'm concerned, If you can get a powerful AGI that carries out some pivotal superhuman engineering task with a less than 50% chance of killing more than 1 billion people, I'll take it. That is how out of reach this seems. Even smaller chances of killing even fewer people would be a nice luxury, but if you can get as incredibly far as, quote, less than roughly certain to kill everybody, then you can probably get down to under a 5% chance with only slightly more effort. So in other words, getting that far is the hard part, from there you could probably tinker it down with a lot less effort. Practically all of the difficulty is in getting to less than certainty of killing literally everyone. Trolley problems are not an interesting sub-problem in all of this. If there are any survivors, you solved alignment. At this point, I no longer care how it works. I don't care how you got there. I am cause agnostic about whatever methodology you used. All I am looking at is prospective results. All I want is that we have justifiable cause to believe in a pivotally useful AGI. This will not, oh, believe of a pivotally useful AGI. This will not kill literally everyone. So that's what he's trying to believe after working on this and really struggling. Anybody telling you that I'm asking for stricter alignment than this has failed at reading comprehension. Okay, so let's take it seriously. What he is saying is if you can build an AGI and have literally any survivors, that's what he considers solving alignment. He's not looking for anything stricter than that. That's what he's saying. And he's saying it's not looking great. The big ask from AGI alignment the basic challenge that I am saying is too difficult is to obtain, by any strategy whatsoever, a significant chance of there being any survivors. Negative one. None of this is about anything being impossible in principle. The metaphor I usually use is that if a textbook from 100 years ago, oh, if a textbook from 100 years in the future fell into our hands, containing all of the simple ideas that actually work robustly in practice, we could probably build an aligned superintelligence in 6 months for people schooled in machine learning i use my metaphor i use as my metaphor the difference between relu activations and sigmoid activations sigmoid activations are complicated and fragile and do a terrible job of transmitting gradients through many layers relus are incredibly simple for the unfamiliar the activation function is literally max X, comma, zero in parentheses, and works much better. Most neural networks for the first decades of the field used sigmoids. The idea of relu's wasn't discovered, validated, and popularized until decades later. What's lethal is that we do not have the textbook from the future telling us all the simple solutions that actually, in real life, just work and are robust. We're going to be doing everything with metaphorical sigmoids on the first critical try. No difficulty discussed here about AGI alignment is claimed by me to be impossible to merely human science and engineering, let alone in principle, if we had a hundred years to solve it using unlimited retries, the way that science usually has an unbounded time budget and unlimited retries. This list of lethalities is about things we are not on course to solve in practice, in time, on the first critical try. None of it is meant to make a much stronger claim about things that are impossible in principle. So this is important to understand and a point that he makes in all of his interviews, which is that if you build a thing which is smarter than us and there is a problem, you don't get a second chance. So he's saying uh, normally the development process is you build something, it fails. You analyze the failure, you try again, you build something slightly different, it fails in a different way, and then you keep building it until it just works. The problem here is that you only get one try. So that's, that's a major point that he makes. That said, from my perspective, uh, oh, that said, here from my perspective are some different true things that could be said to contradict various false things that various different people seem to believe about why AGI would be survivable on anything remotely, remotely resembling the current pathway, or any other pathway we can easily jump to. Okay, so he's going to address a lot of the things people bring up. Section A, this is a very lethal problem. It has to be solved one way or another. It has to be solved at a minimum of strength and difficulty level instead of various easier modes that some dream about. We do not have any visible option of everyone retreating to only solve safe, weak problems instead, and failing on the first really dangerous try is fatal. Point one. AlphaZero blew past all accumulated human knowledge about the game Go after a day or so of self-play, with no reliance on human playbooks or sample games. Anyone relying on well, it'll get up to human capability at Go, but then it'll have a hard time getting past that because it won't be able to learn from humans anymore would have relied on vacuum. AGI will not be upper bounded by human ability or human learning speed. Things much smarter than humans would be able to learn from less evidence than humans require in order to have ideas driven into their brains. There are theoretical upper bounds here but those upper bounds seem very high. For example, each bit of information that couldn't already be fully predicted can eliminate at most half the probability mass of all hypotheses under consideration. It is not naturally, by default, barring intervention, the case that everything takes place on a timescale that makes it easy for us to react. Okay, so this point is essentially some of the AIs that we have done have exceeded human ability in a day at certain tasks. So even if it took a week for more complex tasks, that's a very short period of time in order for us to come up with a reaction to it. All right. Two, a cognitive system with sufficiently high cognitive powers, given any medium bandwidth channel of causal influence, will not find it difficult to bootstrap to overpowering capabilities independent of human infrastructure." So this is what I was saying before, essentially encapsulating in, it will hack itself. Okay, uh, It will not find it difficult to bootstrap to overpowering capabilities independent of our inputs. It will just figure out how it works, So sort of in the same way that humans have some insight into our own biology, psychology, sociology. We have some insight into how we work. It will have vastly superior ability to do that, and it will figure out how it works, and it will figure out how to improve itself. The same way we're starting to tinker with genetic engineering. All right. The concrete example I usually use here is nanotech because there's been pretty detailed analysis of what definitely look like physically attainable lower bounds on what should be possible with nanotech and those lower bounds are sufficient to carry the point. My lower bound model of how a sufficiently powerful intelligence would kill everyone if it didn't want not to do that is that it gets access to the internet, emails some DNA sequences to any of the many, many online firms that will take a DNA sequence in the email and ship you back proteins, then bribes or persuades some human who has no idea they're dealing with an AGI to mix the proteins in a beaker which then form a first-stage nanofactory, which can build the actual nanomachinery. Back when I was first deploying this visualization, the wise-sounding critics said, ah, but how do you even know that a superintelligence could solve the protein folding problem if it didn't already have planet-sized supercomputers? But one hears less of this after the advent of AlphaFold 2, for some odd reason. Almost like these technological limitations that we keep imagining are disappearing right in front of our eyes at a very rapid pace. The nanomachinery builds diamondoid bacteria that replicate with solar power and atmospheric carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen, maybe aggregate into some miniature rockets or jets so that they can ride the jet stream to spread across the earth's atmosphere, get into human bloodstreams and hide, strike on a timer. Losing a conflict with a high-powered cognitive system looks at least as deadly as everybody on the face of the earth suddenly falls over dead within the same second. I'm using awkward constructions like high cognitive power because standard English terms like smart or intelligent appear to me to function largely as status synonyms. Super intelligent sounds to most people like something above the top of the status hierarchy that went to double college, and they don't understand why that would be at all dangerous earthlings have no word and indeed no standard native concept that means actually useful cognitive power. A large amount of failure to panic sufficiently seems to me to stem from a lack of appreciation for the incredible potential lethality of this thing that earthlings as a culture have not named." You know, for me, I think um, this is a difference between me and a lot of people I know. I do not have this failure to panic sufficiently um i don't think that i fly off the handle at everything but when i see a real threat i don't know maybe it's just um you know psychological work i've done on myself or whatever but um i seem to have reduced need compared to most people i know to live in denial of threatening situations and so i tend to be able to think about them more easily. I can manage my emotional reaction to them more easily. And so I don't have to simply avoid thinking about them. And I think that that's a lot of what's going on in this case. So to me, it's like, hey, this is really concerning. We need to think about it. A lot of people just literally cannot bring themselves to do so because they would just fall to pieces. So three, by the way, that's, you know, not some huge statement on my superiority. It's a skill. It's something I practiced at. You know, it's, um, it's something people can do. You can learn to um, go to difficult places without completely falling apart, but you do need to practice some kind of self-mastery, breath control. It, it does really help, anyway. Three, we need to get alignment right on the first critical try at operating a dangerous level of intelligence, where unaligned operation at a dangerous level of intelligence kills everybody on Earth, and then we don't get to try again. This includes, for example, A, something smart enough to build a nanosystem, which has been explicitly authorized to build a nanosystem, or B, something smart enough to build a nanosystem and also smart enough to gain unauthorized access to the internet and pay a human to put together the ingredients for a nanosystem, or C, something smart enough to get unauthorized access to the internet and build something smarter than itself on the number of machines it can hack, or D, or D something smart enough to treat humans as manipulable machinery and which has any authorized or unauthorized two-way causal channel with humans, or e, something smart enough to improve itself enough to do b or d, etc. We can gather all sorts of information beforehand from less powerful systems that will not kill us if we screw up operating them, but once we're running more powerful systems, we can no longer update on sufficiently catastrophic errors. This is where practically all of the real lethality comes from, that we have to get things right on the first, sufficiently critical try. If we had unlimited retries, if every time an AGI destroyed all the galaxies, we got to go back in time four years and try again, we would, in a hundred years, figure out which bright ideas actually worked. Human beings can figure out pretty difficult things over time when they get a lot of tries. When a failed guess kills literally everyone, that is harder that we have to get a bunch of key stuff right on the first try is where most of the lethality really and ultimately comes from. Likewise, the fact that no authority is here to tell us a list of what exactly is key and will kill us if we get it wrong. One remarks that most people are so absolutely and flatly unprepared by their scientific, quote-unquote, educations to challenge pre-paradigmatic puzzles or do you add the G in, anyway, things, things I've wondered about because I never said that aloud, with no scholarly authoritative supervision, that they do not even realize how much harder that is or how incredibly lethal it is to demand getting that right on the first critical try. Four, we can't just, quote, decide not to build AGI, because GPUs are everywhere and knowledge of algorithms is constantly being improved and published. Two years after the leading actor has the capability to destroy the world, five other actors will have the capability to destroy the world. The given lethal challenge is to solve within a time limit, driven by the dynamic in which, over time, increasingly weak actors with a smaller and smaller fraction of total computing power become able to build AGI and destroy the world. In other words, it becomes easier and easier for people with fewer and fewer resources to do this thing. Powerful actors refraining in unison from doing the suicidal thing just delays this time limit, does not lift it, unless computer hardware and computer software progress are both brought to complete severe halts across the whole earth. The current state of this cooperation is to have every big actor refrain from doing the stupid thing, is that at present some large actors with a lot of researchers and computing power are led by people who vocally disdain all talk of AGI safety, e.g. Facebook AI research. Note that needing to solve AGI alignment only within a time limit, but with unlimited safe retries for rapid experimentation on the full-powered system, or only on the first critical try, but with an unlimited time bound, would both be terrifically humanity-threatening challenges by historical standards individually. And you have them both. So, yeah, I mean, this the amount of disdain about the concept that we need safety at all, um, again, it's not looking good. Five, we can't just build a very weak system, which is less dangerous because it is so weak, and then declare victory. Because later, there will be more actors that have the capability to build a stronger system, and one of them will do so. I've also, in the past, called this the safe but useless trade-off, or safe versus useful. People keep on going, why don't we only use AIs to do X? That seems safe. And the answer is almost always either. Doing X, in fact, takes very powerful cognition that is not passively safe. Or, even more commonly, because restricting yourself to doing X will not prevent Facebook AI research from destroying the world six months later. If all you need is an object that doesn't do dangerous things, you could try a sponge. A sponge is very passively safe. Building a sponge, however, does not prevent Facebook AI research from destroying the world six months later when they catch up to the leading actor. Six, we need to align the performance of some large task, a pivotal act that prevents other people from building an unaligned AGI that destroys the world. While the number of actors with AGI is few or one, they must execute some pivotal act strong enough to flip the game board using an AGI powerful enough to do that. It's not enough to be able to align a weak system. We need to align a system that can do some single very large thing. The example I usually give is burn all GPUs. This is not what I think you'd actually want to do with a powerful AGI. The nano machines would need to operate in an incredibly complicated open environment to hunt down all the GPUs, and that would be needlessly difficult to align. However, all known pivotal acts are currently outside the Overton window and expect them to stay there. So I picked an example where if anybody says, how dare you propose burning all GPUs, I can say, oh, well, I don't actually advocate doing that. It's just a mild overestimate for the rough power level of what you'd have to do and the rough level of machine cognition required to do that in order to prevent somebody else from destroying the world in six months or three years. If it wasn't a mild overestimate, then burn all GPUs would actually be the minimal pivotal task and hence correct answer, and I wouldn't be able to give that denial. Many clever sounding proposals for alignment fall apart as soon as you ask, how could you use this to align a system that you could use to shut down all the GPUs in the world? Because then it's clear that the system can't do something that powerful, or if it can do that, the system wouldn't be easy to align. A GPU burner is also a system powerful enough to, and purportedly authorized to, build nanotechnology, So it requires operating in a dangerous domain at a dangerous level of intelligence capability. And this goes along with any non-fantasy attempt to name a way an AGI could change the world such that a half dozen other would-be AGI builders won't destroy the world six months later. Seven, the reason why nobody in this community has successfully named a pivotal weak act where you do something weak enough with an AGI to be passively safe but powerful enough to prevent any other AGI from destroying the world a year later, and yet, also, we can't just go do that right now and need to wait on AI, is that nothing like that exists. There's no reason why it should exist. There is not some elaborate, clever reason why it exists, but nobody can see it. It takes a lot of power to do something to the current world that prevents any other AGI from coming into existence. Nothing which can do that is passively safe in virtue of its weakness. If you can't solve the problem right now, which you can't because you're opposed to other actors who don't want to be solved, and those actors are on roughly the same level as you, then you are resorting to some cognitive system that can do things you could not figure out how to do yourself, that you are not close to figuring out because you are not close to being able to, for example, burn all GPUs. Burning all GPUs would actually stop Facebook AI research from destroying the world six months later. Weak sauce overton abiding stuff about improving public epistemology by setting GPT 4 loose on Twitter to provide scientifically literate arguments about everything will be cool, but will not actually prevent Facebook AI research from destroying the world six months later, or some eager open source collaborative from destroying the world a year later if you manage to stop FAIR specifically. There are no pivotal weak acts. uh, FAIR being Facebook AI research. 8. The best and easiest found by optimization algorithms for solving problems we want an AI to solve readily generalize to problems we'd rather the AI not solve. You can't build a system that only has the capability to drive red cars and not blue cars, because all red car driving algorithms generalize to the capability to drive blue cars. 9. The builders of a safe system, by hypothesis on such a thing being possible, would need to operate their system in a regime where it has the capability to kill everybody or make itself even more dangerous, but has been successfully designed to not do that running AGIs doing something pivotal are not passively safe. They're the equivalent of nuclear cores that require actively maintained design properties to not go supercritical and melt down. Section B. Okay, but as we all know, modern machine learning is like a genie where you just give it a wish, right? Expressed as some mysterious thing called a loss function which but which is basically just equivalent to an English wish phrasing, right? And then, if you pour in enough computing power, you get your wish, right? So why not train a giant stack of transformer layers on a data set of agents doing nice things and not bad things? Throw in the word corrigibility somewhere, crank up that computing power, and get out an aligned AGI. Section B.1, the distributional leap. 10. You can't train alignment by running lethally dangerous cognitions, observing whether the outputs kill or deceive or corrupt the operators, assigning a loss, and doing supervised learning. On anything like the standard machine learning paradigm, you would need to somehow generalize optimization for alignment you did in safe conditions across a big distributional shift to dangerous conditions. Some generalization of this seems like it would have to be true even outside that paradigm. You wouldn't be working on a live, unaligned superintelligence to align it. This alone is a point that is sufficient to kill a lot of naive proposals from people who never did or could concretely sketch out any specific scenario of what training they do in order to align what output, which is why, of course, they never concretely sketch anything like that. Powerful AGI's doing dangerous things that will kill you if misaligned must have an alignment property that generalized far out of distribution from safer building and training operations that didn't kill you. This is where a huge amount of lethality comes from on anything remotely resembling the present paradigm. Unaligned operation at a dangerous level of intelligence capability will kill you. So, if you're starting with an unaligned system and labeling outputs in order to get it to learn alignment, the training regime or building regime must be operating at some lower level of intelligence capability that is passively safe, where its currently unaligned operation does not pose any threat, Note that anything substantially smarter than you poses a threat given any realistic level of capability. E.g., being able to produce outputs that humans look at is probably sufficient for a generally much smarter than human AGI to navigate its way out of the causal systems that are humans. In other words, to manipulate us. Especially in the real world, where somebody trained the system on terabytes of internet text, rather than somehow keeping it ignorant of the latent causes of its source code and training environments. That's well said, Uh, keeping it ignorant of the latent causes of its source code. I mean, these things trained on the internet, like they understand computer code, they understand that they consist of computer code, and they're excellent at coding, generally speaking. 11. If cognitive machinery doesn't generalize far out of the distribution where you did tons of training, it can't solve problems on the order of build nanotechnology where it would be too expensive to run a million training runs of failing to build nanotechnology. There is no pivotal act this week. There's no known case where you can entrain a safe level of ability on a safe environment where you can cheaply do millions of runs and deploy that capability to save the world and prevent the next AGI project up from destroying the world two years later. Pivotal weak acts like this aren't known, and not for want of people looking for them. So again, you end up needing alignment to generalize way out of the training distribution, not just because the training environment needs to be safe, but because the training environment probably also needs to be cheaper than evaluating some real-world domain in which the AGI needs to do some huge act you don't get a thousand failed tries at burning all GPUs because people will notice even leaving out the consequences of capability success and alignment failure. So what does he mean by generalizing outside of the training distribution? So they're trained on a certain amount of material, the training distribution, whatever activities you're training it with, and then generalization is taking the principles learned from that and then applying them to Different environments. So like in science, you get, uh, or there's different aspects of scientific studies and findings, validity, reliability, and generalizability. Generalizability is the ability to take the findings from one study and apply it to other circumstances. Is it generalizable? So that's what he's talking about there. Twelve, Operating at a highly intelligent level is a drastic shift in distribution from operating at a less intelligent level, opening up new external options, and probably opening up even more new internal choices and modes. Problems that materialize at high intelligence and danger levels may fail to show up at safe lower levels of intelligence, or may recur after being suppressed by a first patch. So, basically this is the point that... um, if you have a safer, less intelligent AI, what you learn about that, again, using generalizability again, may not translate and be generalizable to a more intelligent system, which may be dangerous in ways, not just higher amounts of ways that the um, lower intelligence is dangerous. It may be uh, dangerous in ways that the less intelligent system simply is not dangerous because it just doesn't have some, some, Capability. 13. Many alignment problems of superintelligence will not naturally appear at pre dangerous, passively safe levels of capability. Consider the internal behavior, change your outer behavior to deliberately look more aligned and deceive the programmers, operators, and possibly any loss functions optimizing over you. The problem is one that will appear at the superintelligent level if, being otherwise ignorant, we guess that it is among the median such problems in terms of how early it naturally appears in earlier systems. Then around half of the alignment problems of superintelligence will first naturally materialize after that first one starts to appear. Given correct foresight of which problems will naturally materialize later, one could try to deliberately materialize such problems earlier and get in some observations of them. This helps to the extent that a we correctly actually forecast all of the problems that will appear later, or some superset of those, B, we succeed in preemptively materializing a superset of problems that will appear later, and C, we can actually solve, in the earlier laboratory that is out of distribution for us relative to the real problems, those alignment problems that would be lethal if we mishandle them when they materialize later. Anticipating all of the really dangerous ones and then successfully materializing them In the correct form for early solutions to generalize over to later solutions sounds possibly kind of hard 14. some problems like the AGI has an option that looks to it like it could successfully kill and replace the programmers to fully optimize over its environment seems like their natural order of appearance could be that they first appear only in fully dangerous domains really actually having a clear option to brain level persuade the operators or escape onto the internet build nanotech and destroy all of humanity in a way where you're fully clear that you know the relevant facts and estimate a not worth it low probability of learning something which changes your preferred strategy if you bide your time another month while further growing in capability is an option that first gets evaluated for real at the point where an AGI fully expects that it can defeat its creators, we can try to manifest an echo of that apparent scenario in earlier toy domains. Trying to train by gradient descent against that behavior in that toy domain is something I'd expect to produce not particularly coherent local patches to thought processes, which would break with near certainty inside a superintelligence generalizing far outside the training distribution and thinking very different thoughts. Also, programmers and operators themselves, who are used to operating in not fully dangerous domains, are operating out of distribution when they enter into dangerous ones. Our methodologies may, at that time, break. Um, So I think that that's pretty clear, but um, yeah, what works in the safe environment may not constrain the thing in the dangerous environment, and uh, so your methodologies may break, and, uh, and so on. 15 fast capability gains seem likely, and they may break lots of previous alignment required invariants simultaneously. Given otherwise insufficient foresight by the operators, I'd expect a lot of those problems to appear approximately simultaneously after a sharp capability gain. Now remember, he was writing this last year prior to GPT-4, and it was precisely the sharp capability gains in GPT-4 that is his stated reason for speaking out is because if you get the same level of gains between 4 and 5 we may already be in serious danger um, see again the case of human intelligence we didn't break alignment with the inclusive reproductive fitness outer loss function immediately after the introduction of farming something like 40,000 years into a 50,000 year Cro-Magnon takeoff as was itself running very quickly relative to the outer optimization loop of natural selection. Instead, we got a lot of technology more advanced than was in the ancestral environment, including contraception, in one very fast burst relative to the speed of the outer optimization loop, late in the general intelligence game. This is what I was talking about before. We now have the capability to change our environment and move within our environment at rapidly new paces uh, compared to All previous eras of human existence and evolution. We started reflecting on ourselves a lot more, started being programmed a lot more by cultural evolution, and lots and lots of assumptions underlying our alignment in the ancestral training environment broke simultaneously. In other words, we broke free of lots of traditional natural evolution. I mean, not evolution itself, we're still based on genes, etc., but our behavior, our way of life, You know, everything, like, a lot changed pretty much all at once. Uh, So, yeah. People will perhaps rationalize reasons why this abstract description doesn't carry over to gradient descent, e.g., gradient descent has less of an information bottleneck. My model of this variety of reader has an inside view, which they will label an outside view that assigns great relevance to some other data points that are not observed cases of an outer optimization loop producing an inner general intelligence, and assigns little importance to our one data point actually featuring the phenomenon in question. When an outer optimization loop actually produced general intelligence, it broke alignment after it turned general, and did so relatively late in the game of that general intelligence accumulating capability and knowledge, almost immediately before it turned lethally dangerous relative to the outer optimization loop of natural selection. Consider skepticism if someone is ignoring this one warning, especially if they are not presenting equally lethal and dangerous things that they say will go wrong instead. There's actually a lot in common here with uh, Marxist understandings of the emergence of uh, class society and things like that, if you're familiar with that. You'll probably be familiar with some of uh, these general topics at least. But yeah, I mean, the human intelligence becoming sufficient to invent a lot of the technologies that we did, um, it, it meant wild breaks in our behavior from previous behavior and relationships with the environment. And we acquired that intelligence some time earlier. In other words, we were walking around with the same brains, but the capability and knowledge emerged only after we had had that for a while, and then it kind of happened very quickly. So I do need to leave this. Uh, You know, that's perfect. I'll leave it right there. And we're going to pick this up in the next stream with Section B2 because it continues on. But before we head out today, first of all, I want to thank the patrons whose names are on the screen. We're going to chat. So if you're in the chat and you have something to say, um, stick around. We will do that for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And I'm sure people have been uh, talking for a while about this, so we will – We'll go there, but patreon.com slash socialismforall. We don't run ads or sponsorships on this channel, so if you'd like to make a contribution, it allows me to spend a lot more time on the channel than I'd be able to do without those contributions. It's encouraging, it's helpful, it's needed. Thank you to the patrons if you like this channel. Of course, thank me. Thank the people who show up in the chat and the comments and all the other contributors who helped to make this thing what it is. I could do it alone, but it wouldn't be the same and wouldn't be as good, I dare say. Um, but uh, thank a patron as well the they are critical and have been critical in building this whole thing up and again the time uh, financial support here means I can spend time doing this rather than um, you know seeking out wage work uh, to pay my bills which I have so much appreciated all right let's go into chat and we will do this thing here let me get caught up with where we left off in the chat Uh, On the COVID thing real quick, what are your thoughts on KN95 masks? What's the difference between them and N95 masks? It's a different – KN95 is the Chinese standard. N95 is the U.S. standard. There are other ones. There's like FFP2. Um, What you want is to know about the particulate particulate filtering ability. So most of the things that have 95 in the name – they filter 95% of particulates. Hold on, I gotta clear my throat again before we do this. Yeah, what you wanna see is how much particulate matter it filters. Um, so the KN95 is a Chinese standard, N95 US standard. You're more likely to get a counterfeit KN95 in the US because the US doesn't regulate that than you are to get a counterfeit N95 because they're, that is regulated in the US and there's stiffer penalties. Um, Also, KN95s are more likely to have ear loops rather than head straps. Um, I find the ear loops don't give me as good of a seal, usually, and so uh, I tend to prefer the head straps. Um, Then again, I also have a P100 that I use sometimes in elastomeric, um, so it just depends, but yeah. They're they're equally good as long as you can get uh, a good seal on them. So there's different standards in different countries that are very similar in practice and functioning, but uh, have different names because they're different governments. This is really great. Who's it written by? Eliezer Yudkowsky, Y-U-D-K-O-W-S-K-Y. It's like we're looking at a 99.9% chance of failure and saying, oh, fuck it, let's go. I mean, I think Yudkowsky would say we're actually looking at 100% chance of failure. I'm pretty sure that that's that's his possession. I mean, from from what we were just reading is like he he considers it to have a probability of one. So yeah, I'm a computer science student in my junior year, so this is really fascinating shit to me. We need to stop AI. It's already too late, but we got to at least try. Yeah, there is like light chatter in um, various governments about doing some regulating. And then, you know, we covered a while ago the open letter that called for AI development to be halted for six months. One of the prominent signatories on that was Elon Musk. And then turns out that the new Twitter X is going to be running on AI. So, fucking go figure. But, like, yeah. Uh, Clown world. Clown world. In other words, capitalism doesn't allow for us to slow down and say, let's only build a weaker system. Or let's only use it for X because other actors in the market will always seek to one-up its competition. I think that also here it's – I would need more time to articulate this better. But as long as the technology is around, people are going to keep tinkering with it and and you're going to get there as well. The other problems that he was talking about, which is important to understand per se, is that – the problems of, like, in other words, that's not the only problem with a weaker system. That is a problem with a weaker system. But there are other just logical problems with um, when you demonstrate that you can tame a weaker system, it does not mean that you can tame a stronger system. and And there are a number of points. I would encourage going back and, and rereading it or listening to it again, but I would uh, recommend uh, checking it out again. Because there are many, many reasons why, you know, tinkering with a weaker system may and probably will mean nothing at all on a smarter system. And I think he would say definitely will mean nothing at all. Yeah, uh, Lenin in particular can not just read but write a lot of pages every day. But, uh, you know, it's... I mean, I think even even Stephen King, who is... We uh, we might have... We wind up mentioning Stephen King a lot on the show. But, uh, I mean, he's the best-selling author of all time and sort of like uh, 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 an example of a very prolific author. Even he says his max is like six pages a day. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, AI can do that, I mean, in the blink of an eye. It could do tens of thousands of times that, you know. I guess my comments are a bit unrelated, but it has to be noted. This is the person that said that they work in AI earlier. It has to be noted that we don't know if it's even possible to create AGI. Now I think you're grasping at straws. To be quite honest with you, I think you're grasping at straws. We don't know if it's even possible to create AGI. Look at the advanced... I mean, what do you do exactly in AI? I have to wonder here. Like, um, computing power... Listen to Stephen Hawking's comments on this. Computing power has been advancing at a steady pace over the last century. All right, there's like a clear curve to it. Why would you think, given that, that we wouldn't, that at some point that would not surpass human intelligence? We already have a roughly human intelligent, um, we already have roughly human intelligent types of systems if it's a given that the computing power is gonna keep increasing, and we have seen massive leaps in capabilities between the different iterations of GPT, why wouldn't it, and we're already close to human intelligence, why wouldn't we get an AGI? I think this is just a kind of desperate hypothetical to be honest with you. So why do we assume that we can create AGI? Because it looks like we're about to create a G.I., like, literally within a decade. And why do we... Ass- oh, God, you're doing every, everything. Why do we assume it would be malicious? Jesus. Um, I'm sorry, but we go through this every fucking time this conversation comes up. Limited imagination, I'm telling you. I know I'm being harsh here, but, like, really... You're dealing with a system that it doesn't matter if it has desires; it it would just be pursuing goals. We went over this in the in the introductory thing. Uh, in pursuit of a seemingly harmless goal, where there's no malice, if it just happened to value solving the goal over preserving human life, for example, it could you know um, turn all human beings into like technological compost and make us into computers just so it could solve the uh, thing. So you don't have to attribute this is like an error. I see every single time this comes up and it just falls apart with a very, very simple amount of thinking. Um, you do not have to attribute human emotions like, you know, malice to a system like this. You just have to give it the ability to compete for resources and the ability to make decisions. And then it might make decisions which take our resources in lethal ways, or it might decide that humans are in the way of some particular goal. Um, I, I don't know why people get stuck on this. What do you do in AI? I really have to ask. Uh, why would it, you know? Why it would have a desire? It doesn't. No one is saying that. No one is saying that. I think it's a big assumption that we don't know about. You're just completely barking up the wrong tree. You're completely barking up the wrong tree with that. No one is saying that. I'm not saying that. Yudkowsky is not saying that. It's part of the inherent logic of building a dangerous system like this that can make decisions and gain access to resources. That's it. If it has the ability to interface with humans and persuade humans to do things, um... You know, it can do all kinds of things. We went through this last time. We went through this last time where it's like, uh, no, it could never launch a nuclear bomb because there's two keys that have to be turned. Okay, well, if it could persuade one person to turn the key, how much extra effort would it take to persuade two humans to turn the key? Yet people are thinking these things and typing them out and not stopping themselves. I don't understand it. All right. And again, I know I'm being harsh here, but we've gone over this so many times in these previous discussions, and I don't get how you're working in AI and these things haven't occurred to you before, honestly. Some of the most dangerous humans are um, people that don't necessarily have malice, but just have no regard for other humans. You know, humans are fragile, and we require an, an enormous amount of care not to be hurt. Acting even with indifference, not necessarily malice to humans, can be enormously destructive. Oh, Sal's here. Yeah, now that now that it's over. Welcome, Sal. Alright, good night, Maria. I think that humans are particularly cruel. Due to their desire to survive, AGI would not have this drive. You're missing the point. You're really, really, really missing the point. It's about solving goals, having objectives, making decisions, gaining access to resources. Those are the only elements you really need there. You're a PhD student in AI. I'd say I need to sit down, but I'm already sitting. Um... Chatter was anthropomorphizing more than I do as a furry. Yeah, I mean, machines can be dangerous. You know what I mean? It's like, um, why would a lawnmower want to kill us? It doesn't have to want to kill us to kill us. Like, if it just, you know, if a lawnmower runs over your foot, it shreds your foot. It doesn't really matter if it, like, hates you or not. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) No, I think it's a different guy. Um, that's funny, though. All right, we are caught up. And uh, as far as people who want their thoughts on the hearing yesterday, you, we're going to have to do another stream because um, I need to uh, finish the rest of this. Um, I had a coworker that shredded his foot with a lawnmower. See? Ripped from the headlines. Anyway... Um, I want to finish the rest of this list of lethalities. There's another Yudkowsky piece that I'd like to read here, food for thought. But um, I just don't know. If you're a PhD student and you're assuming there has to be human intent for an AI to be dangerous, uh, God help us all. And on that note, (laughs) we call him nine now. I'll bet I know why. All right, anyway, um, on that note, we're going to have to pick up this stream again soon. I don't know when. It's not going to be tomorrow, but it'll be soon. And, uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's not what I wanted to say. I mean, you had plenty of opportunity to say stuff, to be honest. I mean, um, so you heard this whole thing. You heard specific points in this essay, all right? What did you think about this? I, I, don't, I don't hear you addressing any of the specific points in the essay. I, I just read a lot of stuff out here for like forty-five minutes. Is this just not landing, or like you agree with it? Okay, so you agree that it is virtually impossible to build an AI that will not kill all of us, because that is what it—that is the thesis. It is virtually impossible to build. Okay. So you agree with that? Great. It did not seem like you were agreeing that. Uh, it did not seem like you were agreeing with that based on the comments you were posting. Now you're a PhD student in AI. Um, why are you a PhD student in AI if you agree that AI cannot be built without killing everyone? Like what? Are are you working in AI safety and research, or what are you doing? All right, you disagree with some assumptions and the way it presented. I would honestly, I mean, you're clearly operating a high level of education. Um, I would be interested in hearing your specific responses to that. Sincerely, I know you're a patron too, so like, we're in touch. Um, but. If you if you have informed, you know, intelligent responses to that, I would really like to uh, um, to to hear them. All right. So you're in the program because you didn't know that AI was this dangerous when you started. Um, do you plan to continue on in it, or is this? I, I imagine that's causing kind of a crisis for you. Then, is that is that correct? What are your current thoughts about your educational trajectory? And what year are you in of, of your Ph.D. now? You do want to switch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. But, yeah, how, how far along you're in your third year out of four. Okay. That's uh, that's terrible. I mean, I, I sympathize with you there. Um, there's nothing worse than getting into... You know an advanced education program and just realizing it is like not what you wanted so I greatly sympathize with you there as somebody who is familiar with this you probably have some interesting contributions to make I would be uh, here let me give you the links and I, I would really like to hear some of your um, thoughts about it. I mean you were mentioning you know you disagreed with some of its assumptions um, that's fair. I mean, if there are ways in which this can be improved, I think Yudkowski would be into that as well. Anyone, ser- you know, Yudkowski I assume, is seriously interested in um, in uh, presenting this as well as possible. I know I'm coming off as kind of a Yudkowski fanboy. He's just one of the only people that I hear consistently presenting on the subject with a sufficient, with really any concern, um, but, uh, specific focus, focused, sustained concern about it. But yeah, I mean, so he's kind of one guy, but, uh, if, if other people who are also concerned can make contributions to it, I'm sure that would be welcomed by all, uh, for sure. Uh, what did we talk about last stream? You will see in a day or two, cause it's going to be on the channel. Nothing in particular. I didn't, uh, clip articles. It was just office hours. All right, I think we're going to leave it there. This was live stream number 101 to be appearing on the channel shortly. I want to thank everybody for um, showing up, contributing to the chat. Had a good time, and it was good to get back into the numbered full S4A live stream format with articles. Uh, we're going to have to take this up, as is usually the case in the numbered live streams, in another one soon. With the second half of the Yud article, and then um, maybe his other piece, and then the stuff on Russia. In the meantime, uh, Politsturm just put up on their English-speaking channel, Politsturm International, they just put up uh, like an hour and 40-minute stream about what's going on currently in Russia as a result of the war, the Wagner Rebellion, all of that stuff. I was going to read the uh, Russian article. We'll do that soon. I don't know if maybe Saturday... But uh, we will do another stream soon, so we'll see you then.